Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol! Matt! Mel! And we're just a bunch of Hoopleheads who have had a year off, and we're back. And wow, we did that intro flawlessly. I know, better than we've ever done it. <laughs> That's so funny. Like riding a bike. <laughs> Pent-up enthusiasm. Except yeah. riding a bike better than we rode it before we stopped doing it. Absolutely. You know, that's why I yelled, because I felt like I was going to fall off the bike, so I was like, ah! <laughs> trying to write myself back onto the bike. So you yelled your own name. <laughs> I yelled my name. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how that works in real life. Yeah. I would say we should go on hiatus more often, but I really don't want to, because I've missed talking to all three of you. Aww. I missed you guys, too. <laughs> I gotta leave. This is too mushy. <laughs> uh... Yeah, we took some time off. I, I, I personally, uh, as much as I enjoy doing the podcast, last year was just not in the right frame of mind to do it for some inarticulate reason. I, I guess it's just the the you mean the year twenty twenty? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the, the year, year twenty twenty was a problem of some sort. Yeah, for of you? some sort. Yeah. So I guess it was just. The amount of work that goes into producing, I know it doesn't seem like it, listeners, because it's so, it just seems so effortless, but <laughs> the, the watching of the shows, the taking of notes, the talking about, then the editing and the pulling of clips and the putting in of clips and the publishing and the, the getting research, the, the research, getting the artwork, mm-hmm. writing the blurb, publishing it to the site. Like it, it takes time. So mm-hmm. at least you make the big bucks, right? Well, I won all the podcast awards, definitely. Yeah. Mm. It's just a, an honor to be nominated. <laughs> and, w- and win them all. And yeah. win them, of course. Which, which we totally did. Yeah. We have. In the year we, in the year we weren't here. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, Carol, you finished Freaks and Geeks, McKinley cast? Um, we're, we're talking about finishing it. Oh, <laughs> Oh, again, again, we are once again talking about finishing it. It, you know, none of us have totally given up. Well, maybe one of us has, but um, yeah, it just came up again, and uh, I keep saying yes, I'm ready, anytime. Let's do this. Uh, one of the delays apparently was that um, it became difficult to find on streaming services, and now it's back on a streaming service. So that was. That was part of the problem. Excellent. I, I hope you do finish it. I, I am determined to finish it. Good. Because it's only like 15 episodes, something in that yeah, neighborhood, we only, I think. We only have like four left, I think. Something oh, like that. Brother. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just silly. The whole thing is just silly. Get it together, people. I know. I know. <laughs> as, as I, you know, make an appointment, I'll be there. You know, that's, but anyhow. Good. We've got a little bit of HBO news. I didn't want to dig up a year's worth of articles. to, <laughs> So I just grabbed whatever was most recent. And the first is about The Nevers. I don't know if you folks remember yes. talking about this a year ago. This is the upcoming Joss Whedon show. Well, yep. he was bounced, uh, we <laughs> think, under, you know, circumstances related to his... Alleged abuse. When did that happen? Is this the one with uh, Kumail Nanjiani that's like all uh, like uh, cut now? No, that is a movie. That's a oh, that's a movie. movie. Yeah, oh. 
Okay. I couldn't tell you what the movie is, though. No, this is the steampunk fantasy superhero oh. thing that's set uh, in the last years of Queen Victoria's reign. London is beset by the touched people, mostly women who have suddenly manifested abnormal abilities. And they become champions of the underclass. So it's a superhero thing set in Victoria, England, and with a female heavy cast. And Joss Whedon oh, yes. is like the creator, showrunner, uh, and up until the moment that he is not. And mm-hmm. it seems very likely that there was an investigation into his behavior on the set of some movie. It's, it, you know, there's about all of our multitude of listeners are right now shouting at their device to tell us what it is, because it's the DC movie um, with the bunch of... Is it the, uh, is it the Justice League? Justice League. Okay, okay. I did, I, 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 Justice League. I knew it, but I, I just, didn't want to say it in case I was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> no, I just, I never remember its name, to be honest. I, I, I haven't watched them. I've been told by my son that they're bad. Um, hmm. But, uh, yeah, and the the director, the other director's cut is coming out, and yeah, I do and, remember the Nevers though. Now I remember watching the trailer and thinking to myself, "This show's been done a bajillion times already." Except it's like in a period setting, but it's right. like it felt like X Men heroes misfits, right? In a period setting, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Just by yeah. reading the description, I feel that too. And yeah, little League Just- of Extraordinary Gentlemen feel setting yeah. to it as well uh, mm-hmm. anyway he was an asshole apparently on uh, the <laughs> set of uh, Justice League very uh, I guess abusive I don't know the parameters of, of all of that and the details but there was an investigation it's- Charisma Carpenter weighed in mm-hmm. on her experience and Angel it feels pretty obvious that they told him to quit before they could fire him mm. because he's no longer a part of the show so what he said was that he left because he was unable to meet the physical challenges of making such a huge show during a global pandemic. Okay, mm-hmm. but then after production stalled, it resumed and with a new showrunner. So the new showrunner, her name is Philippa Goslett, and she was a producer for the first couple episodes. She's just now the showrunner. She's a British screenwriter. So she's overseeing the second half of season one, which they still – HBO thinks it's still going to debut this year. So mm. we'll see. And we'll see if it's any good. All order. Joss Whedon usually has a different take on things that sound like they've been, you know, done before. Um, I mean, that is one of the things that he was good at, always good at. It was um, taking something that you think, oh, okay, I've seen this before. And then all of a sudden it changes, you know. As it goes, but Could yeah, be. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it it hasn't really. I heard he was talking about this oh years and years and years ago, and you know it didn't strike me as being something I was all that thrilled about. But you know who knows? Um, I've been a big Joss Whedon fan for a long time, and this whole thing has been disappointing, but not surprising, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to hurt the show that it's coming out so much later after we've had the Umbrella Umbrella Academy, right. <laughs> Umbrella Academy, right? Yeah, in, and uh, all the other superhero shows that have been on. Yep, 
Disney and there was a DC network. I think that's just folded into HBO Max now. I did have a DC item that I was going to skip, but since we were talking about the Justice League, <laughs> this is a new Constantine series. It's in development at HBO Max, and the search is on for an actor to take the lead role of John Constantine. According to sources, the show would tie into the Justice League Dark series that is currently at the works at the streamer with J.J. Abrams executive producing. Bring Keanu back. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> well, the show would follow a younger version of the character and focus more on the horror elements of the comics rather than the religious ones. Hmm. Did Keanu Reeves play Constantine? I did not. I missed that. I missed that. I, I saw some somebody uh, a couple of years ago, they had a, either a series of it or he was Constantine was a character on something. And it was kind of dull. <laughs> I I found it sort of. Yeah, there was a dull Constantine side, TV show. That's what I thought, and I I watched some of it. I don't know if I watched all of it, but I remember being underwhelmed by the character, or by perhaps by the actor or the director. I'm not sure. Hmm. And speaking of casting, I'm sure some of you read that The Last of Us adaptation for hbo found its jewel and ellie in pedro pascal and bella ramsey mm-hmm. i don't know matt what your thoughts are on pedro pascal as joel uh i mean he's not who i imagined but i'm fine with it <laughs> yeah i'm fine with it too is his name's in the game is joel miller right like so right are they going to change his last name or is we just going to have a Hispanic, Hispanic Miller? I don't know. Mm. Maybe not. Well, people have all kinds of... I knew uh, a very, very Italian guy with a Jewish last name, and I didn't really think about it until one day he he told me how it happened. It was like his grandfather on his father's side um, was a stepfather who adopted his kids and his entire line is italian but they ended up with this jewish last name what's that what's the what's what's the origin of the the name miller is it like someone who uh, works in a mill but is it english or like yeah yeah okay yeah pedro pascal probably best known right now as the mandalorian in the mandalorian Mm -hmm. which i have Mm. not seen how dare you Better known to me as Eddie from episode one of season four of Buffy or uh, as right. Oberyn Martell from Game he of does, Thrones. He, he, does not read, he does not read all that Hispanic, really, as necessarily Hispanic. And Bella Ramsey who is an English actress who is, came to prominence in Game of Thrones as young Lady Mormont. And she will be playing Ellie. The- They're going to have to change Ellie to be British. I bet she can do a convincing American. She's probably working on it right now. I'm just kidding. Uh, The Brits trying to do American accents is going to come up later on. (laughs) Okay. Just want to mention that. So circle back to The Last of Us. The Sony PlayStation franchise is being adapted by Craig Mazin, who recently did Chernobyl for HBO. And he's adapting it alongside the game's creator, Neil Druckmann. Craig Mazin describes The Last of Us as a breathtaking work of art, and he told The Hollywood Reporter that adapting it for television has been a dream of his for years. 
So apparently yeah, he hasn't it's, played it's the sequel working. and it hasn't soured him on the franchise like it did for me. <laughs> oh, it did? I, I bet if I replayed the first game, I would still really enjoy it. But, oh, they made so many decisions in the sequel that made me dislike the first the game was about love, and the second game is about hate. Yeah. Oh. Okay, thank you, guys you need to have a back of the Matt case. is wrong about games episode on yeah. this. Mm. Or we can debate The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah. Here. By the way, have I ever mentioned that I love that name for for your podcast or whatever it is that you do? Matt is wrong about games? Yeah, that we I did. love that. <laughs> did I, I mention that before? Okay. No, I'm saying it's no longer a podcast, but oh, okay. if it ever was, it I, was a good title for a podcast. It's a great title. I just, mm-hmm. I really liked that title. I thought it was brilliant. It is very funny. <laughs> and then we yeah, just I mean, stopped it would be if both your names weren't Matt, but, <laughs> yes. you know, it's, you guys, you two are the only two that could have that particular title. Well, maybe some other two Matts, but you know what I mean. There's so many Matts. Yes. That's the joke. That and we have a difference of appreciation of different types of games. The games that he okay. likes not tend to be the ones that I like, vice versa. There's common denominators. My life story. Well, I figured that I figured that, that would be the case, mm-hmm. you know, to a great degree, but uh it yeah. I I just always liked that title, guys. I just <laughs> Well thank well, you. Well thank you. I still have hope that someday it'll come back. Matt, did you like The Last of Us Part 2 in brief? What's your brief take? I liked it. It was probably the most impressive video game I've ever played, uh, technical-wise. Like, graphics and uh, animation and gameplay and voice acting and stuff. And the story, I thought, was great. Okay. Sure, it was it was a downer most of the time. and But I'm... I'm I will shy away from a dark story. I more remember like you getting to like uh, your cousin coming over and playing the game here, mm-hmm. and his opinion on it more more so than his yours. His opinion is I'm going to skip every cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> well, that really doesn't make any he doesn't sense. Play games, he doesn't play games for stories. He plays games for gameplay. Uh, I am the same way, but I feel like the Last of Us franchise is about the story and about the characters. <laughs> it's a lot of games nowadays repetitive. are. Anyway, people who skip people who skip cutscenes aren't my kind of people. There's, there's <laughs> that's mostly kind of me. That's mostly there me. Is a I'm not. Kind of help for that. not I right. look down at my phone and then I look up and I go, "Wait, what's happening? What am I supposed to do? Oh, I should have paid attention to that." And I would love that if every game had a an option to go back and look at the cutscenes, just a mm-hmm. rewind button, a replay it, button. It, it, it is true that some cutscenes are probably unnecessary, especially when games overdo cutscenes. Because I find some of them do that. Like, it's like, oh, you get a little bit, like, a, a minute of gameplay. Oh, a cutscene! Oh, okay, like, I just wanted to play. No, we're gonna get show you this five-minute cutscene. Okay. You know, it's, some games are just really bad for that. Hideo Kojima. <laughs> <laughs> you okay, Well, Matt? my hot take is I hated it. Okay, so <laughs> next news item. A possible second season of Lovecraft Country, which aired last year and steve and will and i talked about the whole series two episodes at a time so that was the little bit of content that we dribbled out last year so very nice go listen to that uh we i don't think any of us were impressed with the finale and we were wondering like is that it because it feels like that shouldn't be it 
because that's how they ended, that's kind of disappointing. Well, it sounds like a second season is at least being talked about. HBO's chief content officer, Casey Bloyles, explained that Lovecraft Country showrunner Misha Green and a team of writers are currently working on the journey taken by Atticus and company. He confirms that he is hopeful that season two will happen. He says, Misha is working with a small team of writers and they're coming up with a take. She had a book to go on in the first season. She and the writers wanted to go off and take some time to figure out without a book what to do with these characters. What's the journey we want to go on? We all want to be sure she's got a story to tell. That's where she is right now. I'm very hopeful, as is Misha, so we're giving them time to work. So the first season adapted the book, and it sounds like they're just trying to figure out uh, what they might do for an encore. Not that dissimilar for the first show, we're going to talk about The Leftovers, which was based on a book for its first season, and then went off in its own direction for seasons two and three, and I think that seasons two and three of The Leftovers without the book are much better than season one, so it's not like they can't do it, but I was a little nervous that if Misha Green, I'm sure she's, she's, I'm sure she's a talented, lovely person, but I really questioned some of the decisions she made with the finale, and <clears throat> was hoping that maybe there'd be a little change of showrunners i've never seen the show you will in a few months if we stick to a good pace (laughs) everybody is wondering what and where they all came from everybody is worrying about where they're gonna go when the whole thing's done Anyway, let's move on to talk about the first of the two programs that we will cover today, and that is The Leftovers, which aired first aired June 29th, 2014. It lasted three seasons, 28 episodes. The first episode was written by Damon Lindelof and Tom Perota, based on Tom Perota's novel. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly. And the pilot was directed by Peter Berg. You know, you probably uh, hope that I would forget about this, or you forgot about this, and you're going to be very disappointed that I did not forget and that we're still going to do it, as painful as it is, because it is a a fan favorite. This is people's favorite part about our uh, podcast, and it's a segment that we just stole wholesale from Intro to X. That's the 60-second plot summary. (laughs) 
<laughs> Ooh. It was a bad idea to incorporate this into the podcast, but That's we're stuck bad. with it now. <laughs> a bad idea that you're not taking away anyways. <laughs> no. You have the power, you know. You have the power. Mm. I think you enjoy this. Do I? Do I have yeah. the power? Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you who's going to be doing the submarine. It's not going to be me, and it's not going to be Matt, it's not going to be Carol, it's going to be Mel. <laughs> oh, good. Like Sorry, him. Mel. <laughs> All right, I've got it. I've got it. I've At got least this. it's not the other show. I've got. I've got this. Okay. A lot of padding for the other show. When you start talking, I'll start the the timer. Okay, three, two, one. So I got up last night and I opened my fridge. I was hungry. <laughs> I saw some, some food in there. I put it in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> Try hard, Mel. <laughs> And then I ate it, and then I went back mm-hmm. to bed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Okay. You got <laughs> it's been a year, people. This is the first impression you want to make for our time back. You want to do that one again? I appreciate the okay. humor. There's a creepy call. Okay, wait, wait. Let's just start, let's just stop here because I wanted to say that when the show premiered, I thought the name was really fucking stupid. Because I didn't really know what the show was about. But I was like, The Leftovers. So I did think it was funny if people would take photos of their leftovers in the fridge and like hashtag at HBO, this is your leftovers. No one else um, was really into that. So that little thing that died right on the vine. Um, Let's try that again. (laughs) Oh, damn it. I was hoping I could get away with it. Oh, all right. Three, two, one. Uh, okay, we have this, like, a police officer played by Justin Theroux, and he's like, he hates his life. His wife left him for a crazy cult. There's a lot of cults in this show. I hate that about this show. We can get into that later, though. Um, she keeps seeing these visions. He keeps seeing deer, and then he there's a dead there's a bunch there's do- rabid dogs oh yeah i forgot sorry and there's also the premise of the show <laughs> the wheels just fall off the podcast whenever mel has to do the 60 second plot summary. i've noticed that i've kind of forgotten People disappeared. That's the whole. There's a particular day, October 14th. People just randomly disappeared. Like 2% of the population disappeared. The end. <laughs> I'm probably uh, way over. One minute, four seconds. <laughs> Not terrible. <laughs> Depending on your metric. Yeah. I have a tendency to start in the middle and then go back to the beginning and go back to the end. See, your mistake is not practicing before we start recording. No, you know what? I'm just terrible at telling stories anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, carry on. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> October 14th, the day after Chris Carter's birthday. Oh, God. 2% of the world's population disappeared. One in 50 people, according to a person on the news, 
not that big of a deal. <laughs> wow, he's a, he's real uh, real sympathetic to their cause. There, it was enough for almost every single person to know somebody who disappeared. Sometimes more than one. Sometimes whole families. Yeah. What yeah, a thought, shitty luck of the draw that is. Right? I, I thought it was actually kind of brilliant to make it that kind of a number. Because, you know, it didn't affect, like, like some of the apocalyptic shows, they have half the population, mm-hmm. like, uh, or movies, I should say, uh, half the population, or they have, you know, some disaster happening to everybody. And that just destroys the infrastructure and all of this stuff. This doesn't destroy the infrastructure. It just destroys society. It just weakens it. Yeah, it, it weakens it. But, you know, psychologically, it it really screws with the society as a whole. Um, it's big enough to do that, but not so huge that it affects really anything else. Well, that was kind of brilliant. Yeah, initially, I thought that number was too small. And I was hoping for an apocalyptic kind of show. And now I appreciate that it's really about society just going a few inches to a different direction because of some explained event and them just not knowing and some of them grieving, but others who didn't experience it are kind of like, get over it. Why can't these people just get over it already? Well, this is, it's kind of echoes a little bit <clears throat> the pandemic, say, like, because you get like a, it seems like a low percentage when you think about it, like a 2%. Oh, that's not a lot of people, but it is a lot of people. Like, yeah. you know, you, when you consider mm-hmm. the amount of people that there are, you know. And so. <clears throat> and the reaction, I mean, I I watched more than just this episode as we started to discuss offline, but um, at some point during, you know, watching this, I, re- um, I realized that it's, the way they handle it is very much like what happens when parents lose a child. The fact that a lot of times you have two people who grieve differently and each of them kind of wants the other one to grieve the same way they do. And as a result, you have, you know, like, you'll have a parent saying, you don't, you obviously don't care. And, you know, why aren't you doing this and this and this? Because you don't care. And the other person saying, no, you need to get past this. You need to, you know, live a life. And, you know, <laughs> so you have those things. And that's exactly what you have these factions in society doing. You have all these different ways that people deal with grief mm. all coming in conflict with each other because the different groups that's what these cults are kind of representing different ways of grieving yeah of course you have to carry on with your life but obviously your life is not ever going to be the same after something so drastic happens right <clears throat> and some I... people go on well, well it's just a few seconds but tom who is Kevin's son and uh, he's in the car with the congressman or the Senator rather a real Ted Cruz looking motherfucker. Uh, the guy from <laughs> Friday night lights. <laughs> he's um, cause he's a Senator from Texas. So I was like, Oh, this is, this is Ted Cruz. You know uh, what? Yeah, probably. But uh, 
he said, oh, why aren't you in college anymore? And Tom has this flashback to when the news must have just broke and two people holding hands jumped off of a roof Mm. onto a car. And Mm -hmm. like their grief must have been so extreme for them, like for them to just instantly do that. Well, I don't know if it was like right then when it happened, but it was enough that it, it, you know, those people killed themselves because for them, it's like, what's the point of living? And Mm -hmm. then you have the daughter's friends. Why is her name? Why am I forgetting her name? But her friends, like, I mean, kids that age have always been very Mm -hmm. reckless, but it just seems like they're taking it to a a really extreme place now because what is the point of, of anything? They can be gone tomorrow. Like we always think like anybody can die at any moment, but people can just blink out of existence now at any moment. Like, that's well, even, even those, like Matt was calling them the Toehead twins. <laughs> um, <laughs> when they were burying the, the, the dog, they were saying like, you know, like we could, we could be dead tomorrow for all we know. Well, they just, like basically. Well, they said something about uh, the dogs are already like affected by what's going on, and yeah. it's the same things happening. The people's just taking longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their speculation was that the dogs that have gone kind of crazed and formed their own pack, and mm. now are rabid and ravenous, have witnessed their owners disappearing. And that was enough to sort of, like, break their brains. Yeah. Does it say his name? Dudley. Dudley's kind of a shit name. Why'd your dad shoot him? He didn't shoot him. And why was he in the trunk? I have no idea. He just wouldn't shoot a dog. Well, unless Dudley here is one of the ones that went nuts on the 14th. I heard there's a whole pack of them that lives out in the woods behind the state hospital. That's urban legend bullshit. I mean, I know loads of people, dogs, and none of them ran away. No, 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 not all of them did. Just the ones that witnessed it, you know? Who were actually there when someone went... Dogs are just animals, man. They're not like us, trying to reason it all out, make sense of shit that makes no sense. They see something like that, and they just snap. All bets are off right there no more. Chasing sticks, no more licking your own balls. <laughs> they just go primal, man. Same thing's gonna happen to us, it's just taking longer. They're feral. Mm-hmm. Feral, feral people. They're not no, no I, well, yes, we have some feral <laughs> people and some feral dogs. The whole world is gone but, feral. Yeah, the dogs aren't rabid, they're feral. And well, yes. it's, it's interesting. I, I don't mean medically about... rabid, I meant like right, right. uh personality wise, they're aggressive. It's interesting when you say, when we talk about it in that sense, because you see the kind of the push and pull of like, like the mayor holding this event, trying to maintain a sense of normalcy, you know, trying to get things to go back to normal in a way. And then people just kind of, you can see that tension between the two different factions, you know, kind of warring, I guess. It's been a while. Like the, the normal, like the domesticated versus the feral. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. It's been a while since we saw this. Are we allowed to spoil future stuff? Um, up to uh, season three. 
Well, yeah. Like, we never walked past season one. I'm just trying to remember. Were the, the mayor and the police captain, are they in, in a relationship? Kind of? No. Or am I, am I thinking of a different show? The old police captain. The mayor's in oh, a relationship right. with his father. His dad. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. No, that's... <laughs> <laughs> with uh, Scott Glenn. Mm-hmm. So one of the fun ways that this universe slightly shifts in such a kind of benign way, but as a result of the sudden departure, is that the federal bureau called the ATF, Uh uh, which is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, becomes the ATFEC, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Explosives, and Cults. (laughs) (laughs) I love it! I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. When they said that, I was like, "Okay, we maybe we should have that now." So <laughs> there wasn't really any explosions in this episode, but there was a lot of cults, mm. and I don't like it. <laughs> and I know I'm not supposed to like it, but I really don't like it. Mm-hmm. Really, like th- watch, this like, is this it. is what made me not like the show. Like I like, mm-hmm. I appreciate that the show is a good show. I appreciate that it's well done. I appreciate that the acting is good, but the cult aspect of it you, you just turns me off completely. You don't I enjoy the the. Uh, I can't. You don't enjoy the journey of watching someone get absorbed into a cult. No, <laughs> not at all. It's I tough. completely hated it. Like I, it's just it's just to, to watch, watch people prey upon uh, vulnerable people, like and people willingly enter. The cult. Like, the Liv Tyler character, mm-hmm. I don't understand her at all. Like, there's, you know, I feel like there's other ways that you could deal with not getting married. But that's not <laughs> it. I mean, we no, you find out, you find out later uh, what was the, the moment that... Oh, well, that... we never watched that far into it, I don't think. Well, maybe we did. What, what, yeah, what happened? Find out what? Well, I, I won't say specifically, but yes, something oh. happens... Okay, I guess I can say it. Should I say it, Carol? Just cut it out. Just bleep it. I, no, I I mean, I don't think you really need to know specific, though you could, and we could discuss it, because, I mean, my feeling is that of all the people in the entire show, hmm. she has the least reason to be this horrible, horrible person that she is. Hmm. Yeah, she turns into... Uh... <laughs> quite monster. a ter- quite a monster, but the <laughs> the thing that happens to her, I guess it's not that big of a deal, is yeah, that on. the day of the departure, mm. her mother dies of a natural the day uh, event. The day, the day, the before. day before. Okay, the day before. Um, I don't know if it was a heart attack or a stroke or what ha- whatever happened to her, but her mother dies, and then all of a sudden, it's like her grief is upstaged by this international global event how dare you and exactly (laughs) sorry i mean it's a little i don't i can sympathize with it though because i feel the same way like if if a family member of yours dies and then you get into like a traffic accident or something and somebody starts yelling at each like don't you understand what i'm going through it's like yeah my world is falling apart and no one knows and no one cares. And it's so yeah. personal to me. And now you feel unseen. Yes. You feel unseen. Yeah. And, you, and, yeah. and, and, 
that can yeah. be very damaging. So now, it, it can be, but you think of all the people who are in that situation in real life. Um, everybody who's lost someone in an airplane crash where there was someone famous on the crash and that's all you hear about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. You know, I mean, I was thinking about, I was watching the crown, I've been watching the crown with my son. He hasn't gotten to the point where, um, where, uh, what's his name? Mountbatten is assassinated yet. Right. But, you know, I always think about the two kids and the, the fishermen that were on that boat with him. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. You know, yeah. and you always hear about, oh, Mountbatten, Mountbatten, Mountbatten. It's like, yeah, and there were these other people, local kids that right. were killed, you know. Right. Um, and those families have every right. Now, do they start, do they go out and start, you know, murdering people and, and whatever else? Not usually. Not usually. Well, clearly, <laughs> Liv Tyler's character, Meg, is deeply affected and is you pathological in the worst. same way. And <laughs> she, I mean, she, she was... really gloms on to this, to, yeah. to being a member of the GR, the Guilty Remnant. It, it yeah. becomes the lifeline for her, becomes her, the reason for her existence, and that's how she's getting through life. And but she also she not only does it she she actually ends up um oh damn my my vocabulary just went right out the window um I'm losing my perspicacity <laughs> um she she actually takes it and and bends it to her right will you know to make it make worse. things even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're not supposed to like the GR. They are deeply unlikable people. Oh my I don't god! Any of the cults. No, I agree. I don't like the cults either. But GR oh. is, you know, obviously supposed to be. Ugh. I don't like the weird like desert cult. I don't like the cult where they have giant tattoos on their foreheads. I don't like mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. the white the GR like you said the the white coat uh, smoking no talking. Yeah. I, the, <laughs> like what? <laughs> Guilty remnant. It, it is. It's good that they really sideline the cults in season two, mm-hmm, and do. are almost totally gone in season three. I mean, are you telling me that I should keep watching until? <laughs> I, well, I mean, they're, the the Guilty yeah. Remnant and their actions sort of reverberate through the second yeah. season, but they're yeah, not they're this. Pretty... They're not this presence. This like looming off to the sidelines chain smoking presence that they were this in the first true. episode but they this is true and and i think they're they're rightfully uh cast as antagonists so mm-hmm. you don't um i wouldn't let them i wouldn't let them pers- dissuade you from continuing with the show they go away the, does Liv tyler go with them i think the idea of one cult would have been uh, manageable Enough. for me, yes. but the idea of several cults mm-hmm. just feels way too overwhelming for me. Like right. I'm just like, this is a world that I don't want to be a part of. You don't want to hang out with the guy and his uh, young Asian girl harem. <laughs> <laughs> she does seem a lot. That uh, what's her face? Christine was her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does seem a lot like a lot of fun. Like she loves gummy worms. I don't know. Well, <laughs> and, and that cult is not as big as the other one, and and in terms of no. screen time and importance, and but it's still creepy. In fact, the that second guy. episode, 
It starts with the ATFEC raiding the compound and killing a lot of them, and then you never really go back to that place. So, But that guy is so creepy. He is very creepy and kind of a jackass. So, I think, though, that they're trying to make a point that, you know, society is breaking down mm-hmm. in its own way, and people are searching for answers, and so that's when you get start getting these these cults popping up and it does it happens in in real life all the time and uh it's one of the problems humans have yeah i don't like it and and holy wayne's (laughs) promise is that he can hug your pain away and that is a solution to a problem that a lot of people have they they're carrying around this pain of Mm. people with various you know amounts of it Mm mm-hmm Tom? Tom? Get out, man. Oh, Wayne. How, how are you? We need to talk about Christine. Oh, um, okay. Isn't she one of the girls that lives here? Oh, look at you, man. Isn't she one of the girls who lives here? <laughs> You chat her ass up and bring her candy every time you do a drop-off, man. Wayne, I, I swear She's I've important, never... you know. She's very important. And um, I need you to protect her. From what? Oh, some bad shit's coming and there's no getting around it. I need you to keep her close, keep her safe, and keep your fucking hands off her. been having this dream, Tom. It's the same one over and over. It's about my son. We're gone, Daddy, he says to me. And all, all the people who stayed there, pretending like it never happened, they're asleep. But they need to wake up now. So I ask him, why, why now? Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn them night and day with tears. Three years? Three years. It's tomorrow. It's over, Tom. Time to go to work. I mean, for someone who doesn't like cults, you certainly seem to like Cobra Kai, which is about a karate <laughs> cult. That's a supposed cult. <laughs> it's a karate cult. It's not creepy. It's not like... It's, it's training children to be child soldiers. <laughs> That's true, but... It's very. It's way more lighthearted. <laughs> I mean, and this is kind of a karate. I mean, they're wearing all white. I mean, geese are white, right? It's not. This is like a depressing Mostly show. White. This is a depressing, depressing show. I, I think it's if huh, if I watched only the first episode, I wouldn't respect it as much as I do. I we watched how many episodes when we. St- 
third? I don't know. Between five and seven. Yeah, like something like that. I couldn't get into it. It was just too too disturbing, too depressing. Maybe I wasn't in the right mindset at the time, though. It is disturbing and depressing. There's no yeah. two ways about that. Yeah. That, you know, and especially the whole cult aspect. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but- I've I've never understood people who are in cults or who go for cults, but Lord knows it's in a way it's very very topical because we have an awful mm-hmm. lot of people right now <laughs> yeah. who are willing to take anything at face value, as long as it's said by, you know, someone with a particular label. The person, them. they're a cult leader of choice. Isn't it yeah. just the need to to be to belong, to not feel yeah. alone? Yeah. And to find I, somebody who has a common ideology and yeah. sort of like go, yeah, just so you're not alone. I, I think it's more than that. I think it's also <laughs> feeling safe in yeah. knowing what is what and You and can having, classify Nice, uh, easy people. answers. Yeah, and you can classify other people as the others, and the others are the ones who cause all the troubles that I'm having. Right. And and the others also don't know the truth. I think there's a big, big... Um, it, it, it makes people feel good to think that they know what's going on, that they have the answers. And, of course, life is complicated. But if you can feed somebody... You know, if you can feed people easy answers, they will flock to you in droves. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by cults and the kind of person who would just willingly surrender their autonomy to mm. um, a group think or a leader. Because one of my greatest fears is to be like trapped or imprisoned and to have my autonomy stripped away, my freedom stripped away. So who is this person? For them, it's a comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not me, exactly. but I mean, it takes all kinds. Carol, wouldn't you say <laughs> that season two, what? having seen all of it, is a little lighter? Okay. Uh, I actually... Hang on a second. Ooh, here's a hot take coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I literally took notes on every single episode so far. Um wow. Let's see, where's my season two? You should post them in the Facebook group. And anyways, like, well, Matt, just, I, Matt just walked away for a minute, but he always usually tells me, like, when I say it takes all kinds, he usually says, no, there are all kinds. <laughs> there just oh. are. <laughs> Doesn't there, take all kinds. Just there was some times in season two <laughs> when I got kind of frustrated with it. Yeah. But on the whole, I, it's still kind of, depressing and and all yeah, a um, little bit yeah yeah i like and season I... two a lot because to me it's like this big puzzle box of a season where they they introduce a lot of strange things and then very slowly connect all kinds of dots and you're like wow oh, that's really clever how things come full circle in fact there are things in the pilot that end up paying off in seasons two and three in very clever ways. That's one thing I really liked about the series is that it does give you answers. Um, because, like, one of the reasons I did not last very long on Lost was because I felt like I just had this gut reaction that 
this is something that's going nowhere that they're just throwing stuff out and it's you know not they're not getting around to any kind of answers they're just keep throwing more stuff out and maybe i didn't give it a good enough chance but at the same time from what i've heard from some of the the writers that was pretty much exactly what was happening i don't know though when i watch a show like i don't always like you know some people need to have like mystery solved and things like tied up and everything i don't need that sometimes i like it when things are left uh a mystery because i find that it makes you think about it for a little bit longer or it makes you wonder about it you know it keeps it keeps it in your mind for longer i absolutely agree <laughs> the, that that big... a, that mysteries can be left open yeah i think I think you can't do that with all of them. And no. if you build a show around a mystery as a mystery, mm. as opposed to just making it a fact, like you can say, okay, like, for instance, I don't necessarily think that they're going to ever explain why those people disappeared or where mm. they went. That's kind of a fact of the place. And I feel like the mystery is what, what is happening because of yeah. that? Why are people acting this way? What mm. in their lives happened, etc. Well, this never... is more like an exploration of society as a whole. Whereas yeah. Lost was just really like weird, like uh, almost like supernatural <laughs> kind mm. of yeah. random stuff happening. You're yeah. never going to yeah. get the big answer in this show mm -hmm. of what happened and why and where people went. But, and that doesn't bother me at all. And and it, it doesn't bother me either. And they, they were very upfront. Like, you're not going to get that answer. But That's fine. there are little mysteries and things right. that are shown where there are, there are payoffs for those. And they're very smart about the things that they answer and, that they, and mm. when they don't. And little mm -hmm. jokes and th things that sort of exist in this universe. There is a uh, scene where Kevin's in the bar and there's a... A parade of celebrity departures, yeah, which, that was uh, include Condoleezza Rice, Salman Rushdie, <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal, Jennifer Lopez, Anthony Bourdain, Gary Busey, and Bonnie Raitt. And mm -hmm. the bartender says, "I get the Pope, but Gary fucking Busey." <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's so, so it's many just people, funny so later to see, yeah. you know, that's referenced in a later episode, and it's just like it seems like such a throwaway joke, and it's still kind of a throwaway joke, but at least there's continuity between. Mm -hmm. But you know, episodes and episodes apart, there's like they reference stuff, and mm -hmm. I really appreciate the care that they go in, in the world building and in, in a real effortless way. Okay, parade should end about eleven at the park, and then we'll unveil the statue, which I'm told is terrifying. We have to do that tomorrow. Hector's been working on it for a year. It's kind of weird just to leave a sheet on it. Okay, we'll quickly unveil the statue. The Girl Scouts will read the names. I'll say a few words. Introduce Nora Durst. What's she gonna say? She lost her entire family, Doug. She'll say whatever the fuck she wants to. And there we have it, our very first Heroes Day. Any questions? Yeah, I still don't think they were heroes. My brother-in-law disappeared and he was a dipshit. Well, they're heroes because no one's going to come to a parade on We Don't Know What the Fuck Happened Day. The DSD has proclaimed a federal holiday of remembrance, and that's what they're calling our departed because that's how we want to remember them. Everyone loves a hero. So we're all going to have a nice walk through town, have a good cry, 
and then move on. It's time. Everybody's ready to feel better. Not the remnant. At last, the chief speaks. I would have said something sooner, but I was so riveted. So we're going to do this again? The whole town, the same place at the same time. On the anniversary. You're, you're inviting them to show up. The GR isn't a threat. If they want to stage a nonviolent protest, that's their right. You were at the homecoming. They walked right onto the field. And then they walked right off. No harm done. They are trying to provoke us. Then don't get provoked. A year ago, these people didn't even exist. Now there's almost 50 of them. They brought up an entire cul-de-sac. You know, you're saying this to me as if I didn't already know it. I don't know shit, Lucy. Do you? Where did they come from? What do they want? You don't even know who they are. We know who they were. They're going to come tomorrow. And when they do, somebody's going to get hurt. Want me to call it off? Yeah. I want you to call it off. No. You're wrong. Nobody's ready to feel better. Ready to fucking explode. Everybody's just assuming that it's the rapture, like that that God took all the good people away. But like, there's so many people who are like, this person beat their kids, this person did this, this person yeah, did that. Like, yeah. shouldn't that automatically disqualify the rapture? Yeah, yeah. Like they're like, oh yeah, my brother-in-law was an awful, awful person. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like what's? <laughs> yeah, I think at the beginning there, and one of the things in season one maybe that you're thinking of as far as not being in season two is that you don't have the the animosity of Matt trying to make people upset, uh, the GR trying to make people upset. You, you know, you don't have all these various groups trying to make people feel like crap, you know? Mm. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I found upsetting, and I don't know, if, Mel, if that's one of the things that was just grading on you. Oh, let's, but, let's go. <laughs> let's talk about this. Because, the antagonism you know, between yeah, the antagonism various parties. And, and like yes. everybody trying to foster hate, which yeah. is just such an awful, I mean, I hate that in real life, to say the least. I can only take yeah. so much of it. And that was getting to me, the whole thing of like how many different people are trying to make each other angry. and. Yes. You know, that well, that's not that, as that, much in season two. That that does not that's not what season two is about. I think that's what it was about the cults too. It's not even just that they were existing, but that they were like, especially the GR cult, that they were like, like on purpose, like going at like 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 more Mormon style, like door to door, but like antagonizing people by just staring mm-hmm. at them and like trying to rile them up. So that they could actually, like, basically question themselves into joining it. like Sow seeds of dissension amongst... Yeah, like, I... Yeah, that was really gross. And, like, them, like, being, like, enjoying doing that. Like, that's disturbing to me. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you had the GR trying to hurt people. Create pain in people. Mm -hmm. 
And then with Matt trying, Matt the the Reverend, uh, trying to, um, he wasn't trying to hurt people, but he was trying to, he was ending up hurting people. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, trying to open people's eyes, but he was hurting people. So, you know, and I'm trying to think, I think there was more than just those, if I think about it long enough. But I think willfully inflicting pain on people was one of the things that was definitely getting. I think that was just trying to illustrate the point of the the Toehead twins. (laughs) That everybody's slowly going insane. (laughs) Yeah. Those twins are hilarious. (laughs) That's right. Because the kids, that's, that's another one. Thank you. Um, Because the kids, although they were being self-destructive in a lot of cases, it was who's going to inflict pain on you. What kind of pain are you going to have inflicted on you um, mm. with your consent? Mm. So it's self-destructive, but it was also, you know, it, it was also destructive towards other people. Uh, there was collusion in in that destruction. So that was also destructive and painful. It was weird, though, because it was like consensual peer pressure mm-hmm. kind of yeah. deal. You know, like like... They're, they're saying, like, oh, like, are you okay with doing this? Oh, yeah, whatever. Well, obviously, they want to look cool. I wonder if that BDSM uh, phone app got onto the top of the Play Store. <laughs> 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 I wonder if it's a bestseller. Uh. You could look at the kids as almost having their own little cult. Yeah. There's the, it's the I don't care cult. <laughs> I don't care anymore. Well, well I obviously, and I pretend that I don't did, care. Yeah, obviously they did care. Well, they would yeah, obviously trying no. to hurt themselves yeah. over and over again and yeah. practicing incredibly self-destructive behavior. Something unusual about this pilot that I didn't notice until I was rewatching it was that two main characters of the show, Matt Jameson and his sister Nora, don't show up until about 50 minutes into the pilot and they become like characters 2 and 3 on the show. Especially hmm. Nora. She's she's so barely in this pilot and she's a main character, a main driver, mm-hmm. and pro- my favorite character on the show. Which one is that? She is the lady whose who's whole family okay. departed. And my favorite thing about Nora is her no bullshit attitude. And but she's she carries within her so much grief. And <laughs> she can't move past it, but she doesn't want to let go of it either. Because if she does, then who is she? And she doesn't want to forget yeah. her family. Right. So she has to. So she wants to remember, but she also then just lashes out in, in kind of angry ways. But she's just this f- so fully dimensional, wonderful character, and uh, I love her. I love her to pieces. And that, I couldn't that, let this recording go by without telling the world how much I love Nora Durst. It's funny because that theme is like explored a lot in like uh, Better Call Saul, like season three. What the theme of like not wanting to let go of a deceased loved one, but like holding on to them. You talking about the latest season we watched? Yeah, was that season three? I think I made it four or five. Four or five. Anyway, well, you were going to say something. Before. I was just going to say that actress that Matt was talking about, we just saw her in, in Fargo, Fargo season three. Yeah. Yep. Carrie Coon is the actress's mm. name. She's she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. She's so good on this show. Yeah. 
The best day of my life happened a few months before October 14th, but I didn't know it. It just seemed like um, a nice day, you know. All four of us at the beach, my husband, my six-year-old son, and my four-year-old daughter. Their names were R, Doug, Jeremy, and Aaron. The kids built a sandcastle. Doug and I, we just sat on a blanket and watched them work, and it was just perfect. And it felt like um, I didn't deserve anything that good. This one Saturday, uh, the winter before that, we all got hit with the stomach flu. The, the whole family, we were all feverish and throwing up and I couldn't even get out of bed and the kids were lying there with us and I could feel the heat coming off their bodies and I remember thinking this is it I was going to die I'm not greedy I'm not asking for that perfect day at the beach <laughs> just give me that horrible Saturday all four of us sick and miserable, but alive and together. You know what's also good is the music by Max Richter. The music's incredible. Even though it's only like a couple mm-hmm. tunes, when they cue those up and they play those, they it is manipulative. It makes me feel deep feelings. Mm. And I'm very upset with myself that I didn't go see him perform with the, I don't know what orchestra he was with, but he was in Berkeley and they were going to do music from the leftovers live, but I couldn't go with you, but it was, <laughs> the music's just really good. I, you know, it's funny cause I don't remember the music in the pilot, but, um, over the course of the two seasons I have watched, there's been some really interesting use of, music i mean in some cases just totally using it totally against tone you know like doing where you use music that's the opposite of what's going on on screen and stuff like that right so there has been some really interesting that instrumental version of the pixies where is my mind that's a really Hmm. good take i like the i like the james blake song that they used in the first episode i really like that which one's that it's the song during the riot, I think, or whatever. Maybe. Oh, like when they're all walking slowly in the street, like the parade. Yeah, song. yeah, I really like that song. It felt um, tonally appropriate for the for the scene yeah. for that little montage. Mm-hmm. One thing I never noticed until just now, when watching well last night, was during the guilty remnant walking out. There was one woman in yellow, like. You're supposed to be wearing white. Like, that's close, but it's not close enough. Like, go back in the house, change your clothes, and try again. <laughs> she didn't get the memo. <laughs> or she left her whites out oh. in the sun too long. Oh, maybe yellow. maybe, maybe she she put, like, a yellow hat in the wash. She probably did. She ruined it. Well, but it was only her clothes. It wasn't everybody else. It was just her. You're out of the cult. <laughs> it's not a cult. She's t- she's tainted. She's tainted. Was it in the was it in the pilot that they said it's this isn't a cult or it's not a cult? Oh, bullshit! Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course it's bullshit. 
every cult says it's not a cult. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was one point when it's like, it's not a cult. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's nice that you threw that line in because, you know, that's what they all say. Um, I still maintain that Cobra Kai is not a cult, Matt. Mm. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't watched that show. I, it's good. It's good. I've I've heard it's good, and I I was I was like, oh, I should watch it. I really don't feel like watching it. It's one of those things that when I start, I'm sure I'll be like, why didn't I watch this so long ago? No, you should probably watch it with like I don't know if your son is like of the age. He, I think he's younger than us, probably. Yeah, how old's your son? Twenty-four. Yeah. I mean, because this, like, Karate Kid is, like, such a nice, like, movie to watch with, like, you know, so, like, your family. So I feel like that that would be maybe, like, a good show to watch with your son. I don't we, know. We're kind of in the middle of, well, we're getting near the end of The Crown. Um, and we still are in the, we're still in the middle of Last Kingdom. Um, I mean, I've watched all of The Crown and I've watched all of The Last Kingdom, but watching oh, wow. it again with him. Um so, once we get done with the crown, we'll probably go back to Last Kingdom, and then we've got, I'm not sure what else we've got, but that I'll put that on the list. You can knock Cobra Kai out in, like, three days. <laughs> really, it's like a half an hour, half an hour episodes. Anyways, I know this oh, is okay. not a Netflix... Uh, yeah, I know. We're, this we're isn't a top. Cobra Kai show. Sorry! You know, I brought it up earlier. Sorry, I shouldn't have commented. It's the cult mentality. It's, 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 it's making me do this. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this whole, it, it really is a good example. But this is this is a very psychological show. That's really what it comes down to. And yeah. it's, it's a show about an examination of some of the nastier aspects of, of the cult humanity. mentality. Yeah, and humanity. And, and grief, and what grief can do, do to people. Yeah. And it, it is interesting that... Uh, Tommy is the the son is a really they they do some really interesting things with him as far as um you know how people with addictive personalities they have to be careful because they'll go from they'll try and get rid of one addiction and go to another addiction mm-hmm. well you know with Tommy by the well didn't take too long i guess even in the first season you can see how he's just prone to he's like a cult addict (laughs) weird he's desperate to belong Yeah. yeah yeah he he is desperate to belong and the weird thing is i mean he's got i mean admittedly his mother is screwed up um in that she left the family for a cult and his sister is a brat. Um, Jill, that's her name. Jill, Jill, good, yeah. I call her sis all the way through my... <laughs> and Jill grows on me. Uh, initially, she was too mopey for me. Uh, I mean, I think everybody kind of gets out of, a little bit out of a funk after the end of the first season. Probably because the first season's based on the book, so the book had to have an ending. So it does feel... Like a fresh start when the second season uh, begins. People are in a different place. Jill, I'm sure that things have been hard since your mother went away. I'm fine. Are you? 
I'm sorry, but if I'm going to put you back on that field, I need your word that this won't happen again. stays away from me. I wanted to call out the actor who plays Tom. He's from Warren, Ohio, and he studied art at the University of Toledo. Whoa! Connection! Alright. <laughs> Matt. It took me forever to actually put a name to Tom, and thank you for Jill. I still haven't put a name to her, so I'll try and try and do that. What did you guys think of the guy who was going around shooting dogs? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, that was something. You know, this whole thing where they reacted so negatively to um, the to Kevin, to the chief, shooting a pack of dogs. Mm-hmm. It's like most places, especially places. I mean, that's not a, a very city community there. It's, mm. you know, it's got a little bit of rural stuff going on. They know that dogs get into packs. That's why it was always the dog catcher, not the catch, the cat catcher. Uh, dogs are da- feral dogs that gather in packs are dangerous. So your question is, where's animal control in all of this? Well, number one, where's animal control? I assume that, <laughs> That's why. I assume that for some reason that infrastructure is not great. But the infrastructure for so I volunteer at a local animal shelter and the infrastructure for animal shelters in general is not great because it's usually one of the last Mm -hmm. uh, organizations to get money from uh, the municipality. So they rely a lot on public donations. And if, (laughs) if this world is going to shit, I can assure you that there's probably not too many public donations happening. The thing is what I was actually surprised about wasn't even animal control because just like mel just said it you know very often animal control is is not great what i was really surprised about was the reaction to him supposedly having shot this whole pack of dogs by himself but you know that oh you shot a dog you shot some dogs how could you do that you must be insane and it's like oh so was that guy a part of his imagination the guy with no license plates no. Well, okay. I mean, oh, Kevin starts that, to that wonder. Was a spoiler. That was a spoiler. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, no, Ke- no. I Kevin just does. Like, right. That's okay. I mean, Kevin does start to um, wonder if he might be crazy, like his father went crazy. We saw his, a flashback yeah, of his father running, running naked. naked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, and there is a moment um, in the pilot I mean, where Kevin, yeah, he wakes up um, almost naked, but on the floor of his bedroom, yeah. and doesn't know how he got there. And that yeah. is a recurring thing. It does keep happening to him. Uh, yeah. So. And uh, everybody is acting as though the guy doesn't really exist. And, you know, that Kevin, I don't remember how long that goes on. It seems like it went on for a few episodes where everybody was acting as though the guy didn't exist and that Kevin was making him up. And so, you know, there was definitely a feeling like this guy might not really exist, but it's still what made me really question it was why are they so upset about him killing a pack of feral dogs who had just Mm -hmm. taken down a deer in the middle of a suburban street? I think if they really cared about the dogs, like 
they would literally have a town meeting about it and discuss how do we capture these dogs, how do we get them adopted out. But they obviously never did that because the dogs have been roaming around for a while. Right. And, and, and so, even like like the first dog good. the first dog that got shot, like like remember how he went to the lady's house, what? the address that was on the dog tag? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm sorry to inform you, your dog died. And she's like, don't give a shit. That was my husband's dog and he's not around anymore, so whatever. <laughs> Dustin's right. mom from Stranger Things. Oh, was it? <laughs> was it? <laughs> Alright. Hi there, this is Tony. Yes? Chief Kevin Garvey. Garvey? I thought you went crazy. That was my dad. The former chief. Mrs. Tunney, I'm here this morning because uh, I found your dog, Dudley. And I'm sorry to say that he's, uh... Well, he's dead. So? I just thought you might want to... The dog has been gone for three years, ran away, never came back. He was my husband's. He's not coming back either. Sorry for your loss. Is that what it is? So many of the shots was just like, oh, like you, you don't even care about this. Like, I know that this dog was your husband's, but like, it's still like it was your dog. But he disappeared. He he disappeared. He she moved on. So what is she supposed to do? But it's your dog. Well, I mean, still pick your dog. I don't know. But the dog ran away. So I guess. She didn't you know, give a shit about a member of her family. The thing is, my point is that these dogs are dangerous. Right. A pack of dogs, if they took down a full-sized deer with a full rack of antlers, mm-hmm. what? how safe are the children in this neighborhood? So, I think Why there's a parallel here between this man who steps in to fill a need... Mm. and the way that the cults step in to fill needs for people. So there's this absence of no one's controlling this thing that's in this town, so he's going to do it. And he maybe he does it in an unpleasant way, but what else? What other options are there? No one else has stepped up to, to do it. Mm. So, Okay, Matt, you just may have answered my question. Oh, okay. Because if drawing up the same parallel only with Kevin... Kevin is trying to tell them that the cults are dangerous and are going to have a bigger and bigger impact on this town if they don't recognize that and deal with it. And the mayor is saying, you you know, you're just being um, too overly cautious and yada, yada, yada. And, of course, they do have a bigger and bigger impact and there is you know more and more violence and so forth uh he shoots the this pack of dogs with this other guy and they act like he just shot pets right you know that it was a pet dog mm-hmm. and but they, they were don't... pets but they they were feral they were a feral pack at this point they were dangerous at this point they are dangerous a pack of dogs is a hunting pack that's what they do, and they take down. I mean, in a rural community, 
that starts happening, my I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid. She was from Oklahoma, and she was, you know, a very different society. But, you know, we were, I was raised in a farm area, and uh, it was turning into suburbia. And we had dogs, and she's like, if a dog is known to have killed a chicken, that's it. They they shoot the dog mm-hmm. because once they've got a taste for chicken, they're going to go after your chickens again. Mm-hmm. And once, and I remember her saying, you know, if dogs are allowed to just roam um, feralily, they become a pack, and then they start attacking farm animals, and they become dangerous. Coming after your chickens, Mel. That's right. Belinda you know, and Bedelia. The chickens are going to come home to roost. <laughs> Um, I have not had problems with dogs, but I have had problems with foxes, and I I wouldn't kill the fox. I have chickens, by the way, Carol. Yeah, well, that that's fine. I agree. I wouldn't kill the yeah. fox either, but foxes are not like feral dogs. Well, if they're obviously... Okay. I, I'm not in a leftover situation, so obviously yeah. I would go through the proper channels if I had I mean, a dog problem, but yes, I can understand yeah. that that, well, he, that he, is he, why that would happen. Yeah. He is the chief of police. Yep. No, you gotta, you gotta make some hard decisions and I get that, but exactly. And it's, yeah, just, but at the same time, it was still like, I just don't like the attitude of some of the townspeople that are like, Oh, like whatever, like that lady, like the, Oh, oh yeah. Like, I don't oh. care. I don't care about this oh, dog. I, well, I think this all goes back family. to the premise of the show, which is that, right everyone's worldview is so messed up now and everyone's yeah. grief is just going mm-hmm. in all sorts of different directions. You've got some people like Dustin's mom putting up walls around <laughs> her and you've got other people holding it in, ready to explode. Mm-hmm. Then you've got people, that's a line from the show. Uh, then you've got um, people who feel like they're doing the healthy thing by moving on, but maybe they're moving on way too fast and they're ignoring mm-hmm. Yes. Things about the, the town that, that are breaking down and maybe they should mm-hmm. be more empathetic uh, to, to like the mayor, right? Right. Or is the word empathic? I've never been able to, to distinguish between those two words. Um, but yeah, everyone's just in a different headspace and they're not yeah. all talking to each other and a lot of them are antagonistic towards each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the premise of the show. We've got feedback, though. Oh, oh we okay. do. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to make Matt read it, because you know the Hooplecast rules is like whoever's the most silent during the discussion has to read the feedback. So. Yeah, Matt. Oh, is that <laughs> Matt, right? I didn't yes, know that. Yes, that's how it plays out. Yeah, whoever's talking the least gets to talk so, more during so this Carol, part. So, Carol, no offense, but if you want to get <laughs> no. to read some feedback, you're going to have to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was going to say, I'm never going to read feedback. Okay, that's not a problem for me. Uh, this is from Steve. <laughs> Matt, read this. My goal is just not have us uh, go three hours. So just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's an interesting show. So it is very interesting. Matt, lean into the mic and read Steve's feedback. Okay. All right. The leftovers, season one, episode one. <clears throat> well, the pilot episode is certainly not boring. There's a lot being thrown at us, and I can definitely see Damon Lindelof's fingerprints all over this. It's interesting to compare the premise of The Leftovers to something like Marvel's Avengers Infinity War, which came out a year after The Leftovers ended, uh, where Thanos snapped away 50% of all life in the universe. In The Leftovers, even at, even at just 2% of the world's population departed, civilization starts to crack 
and our fragile grasp of what we thought we knew starts to break down. While I, I admit I don't know 90% of the hows and whys of what's going on in the pilot episode, I get it. There's an inalienable relatability in the fear of the unknown and loss that seems most prescient in today's cultural zeitgeist. To quote another Marvel movie, I look around at I look around at us and you know what I see? Losers. <laughs> I mean like folks who have lost stuff. <laughs> and we have, man, we have. All of us. See, Star Lord gets it. <laughs> I give the pilot episode of the leftovers eight out of ten get a room apps. Star Lord is a part of a cult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gets it. You know, when yeah. I was I was thinking about how when that Marvel movie came out, there was that website you would could go to to find out if you got snapped or not. Oh. And yeah. there should have been one for the leftovers. Mm. Where one out of fifty people it'll say, No, you've departed. <laughs> <laughs> but and then you, you sh- could share it on Facebook. Whew, I didn't depart. But mm-hmm. it should actually tell how who how many people you know departed yes well i guess you would find that out once people took the te- the test yeah two percent of people you know <laughs> there is an episode in season one that i really love it's called guest it's episode six it's no surprise it's a nora episode mm. and she's at the forefront of the episode and we find out that she works for the department of the sudden departure and her job it's so weird that she would take this job, but I guess she's well, she's a mess. Um, but she has these surveys that she does with people, where it's like, was the was your son? Let's say your son disappeared. Was your son a diabetic? Did your son ever have thoughts of suicide? Did your mm. son like the color purple? Did your son like you know do this? Was he like this? Da, 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 da. And they answer all these questions because they're looking for common denominators because they're trying to find out. If there's anything, any link, like, oh, yes, everybody who was born on a Tuesday in September and also watched Cake Wars, I don't know, (laughs) like, they're the ones that disappeared, right? They got, they departed. So I can see, I see that all the time in, like, um, especially, like, when the true crime shows, they'll interview, like, the family or something, and they'll be like, the family of the victim and the family is usually like involved in some sort of um, organization or something to prevent whatever happened to their family member from ever happening again. You know, usually they'll start like a a memorial in honor of that family member or like, you know, they, they really like double down and really like want to like, they make it their life's mission. You know, well, it makes sense if somebody. It makes loses. total sense. So I can see that for her taking a job like that makes sense yeah, to me. If somebody loses yeah. a kid to a drunk <laughs> right. driver, they join mad. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know if she was employed before her f- husband disappeared, but I mean, right. she needs an income, and there's this whole other government agency that now exists. Yeah. So, kind of an- another way that the world just ever so subtly shifts because of this event. Even mm-hmm. though so much of the world just seems like the same, but underneath it's not. So I really like Steve like talking about how like the cracks are there, and yeah. it's like it just doesn't take much for um, things to go sideways. Hmm. Matt, there was a whole episode where they gave you some backstory about what uh, she did before 
she worked there and stuff and before the departure. Remind me. Um, she she was interview. Apparently, she was. Oh, what job did she have? She was interviewing to be on the campaign staff for the now mayor. Ah, that's right. Yeah. And she was, and there was a line. I wrote it down. I'm trying to remember exactly where, and it was just before the departure because she was, and she was doing some other job, and she wasn't happy in it. I don't remember exactly what it was, and the the campaign was like two. It was two weeks until the mayoral election, and she's and the mayor the. Council, then councilwoman, soon to be mayor, says to her, I need your, but I need your full attention for the next two weeks. And she said, uh, for the next two weeks, I have no family. Oh, yes, I do remember that. And it was just like, okay. And when they disappear, they're like, the kids are screaming at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, I want juice, juice, right? Isn't that what they're right. saying? Juice, yeah, juice. Yeah. And Jesus. her husband's not paying attention. And it's just like. I want food. It was, I want food. I oh, want food. food. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. considering almost, the opening scene of the whole show, then maybe people who got uh, raptured were just a. Uh, Fussy, Re- really needy, needy whiny, people. <laughs> whiny people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for her, it's like she feels a guilt because it's almost like she wished them away. Like she just thought, God, like, can I get a break? And they're like, monkey's paw, boom, they're gone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> she pulled a home That's what alone. She wanted right. <laughs> she pulled well, a Kevin a- McAllister. <laughs> I wish my family disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that kind of thing in the pilot. I. You know, I I know you guys were t- thinking in terms of the baby that was crying. Um, did we ever see her again? Who was that? The woman yeah, whose child she disappeared. In the bar? With the baby. Yeah, she showed up in the bar. Yeah. Yeah, she showed uh, up. Oh, right, like, right, right. Maybe a couple more times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like I saw her, but I didn't. You know how some people you kind of vaguely are are like, okay, I should remember that person. And then you're kind of looking for them again, but they might the not long- show up enough to really make an impression. For the longest time, I thought she was uh, Justin Thoreau's wife, and she just, like, went really downhill <laughs> or something. Mm. She just really let herself go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've got feedback from Harold. Mm. Matt, read this one, too. <laughs> uh... This is punishment for you not talking. That's right. <laughs> Oh no, I just got raptured. <laughs> I, I, I can read it if you don't want to. <laughs> I can, I don't mind. Uh, no, it's alright. Uh, the Leftovers. This is not going to be very detailed because it's been five months since I watched this. When we first got an HBO Max subscription. Oh, fancy Harold. Knowing that this was coming up on your podcast, I took a few notes. One of which says, I feel like we are now living in a version of this world and I don't need any more. so basically i've been loath to return to the show not because it was bad or anything but because i've had enough of Mm. living in our doomsday reality yeah and i'd much rather watch a comedy or even a gloomy but stylish italian (laughs) art film about a marriage breakup uh just about anything else shooting a dog didn't help yeah i give the six and a half left behind books that got left behind yeah they're not our dogs harold 
I know. I understand. Like, I understand Carol's point about them being feral dogs, but I think it still hurts a lot of people when they see a dog being shot. Not I... me. I'm all for it. You're for it. I'm a cat person now. Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> anti dog. Why not both? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be clear. I am not for shooting dogs. Okay. I'm not. I'm not I'm gonna, I'll cross it off then. I had it written down Carol Pro killing dogs. I'm going to cross it off. Okay, there's a line through it now. I'm not even for shooting feral dogs. Uh, what I was, the reason I brought it up was only because of the town's reaction. Yes. Like he had just shot, you know, a little Shih Tzu who, you know, was standing <laughs> on the side of the road. Um, and, and that he you was chief of police sh- doing that. You know? A Shih Tzu can be really awful too, though. Okay, like but a little still. yappy dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, All right. Okay, that's the only reason I brought it up. I thought it was an yeah. odd thing, but yeah. since Matt mentioned that this was, they were doing parallels, and well, I don't know, were they? I think to our own society and and the way he was, he was. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of parallels all the way through the thing. Oh, you and, mean? Uh, well. Okay. You mean and, the parallels well, with the dogs and the behavior of the humans? Yeah. Turning and, on each well, other, maybe. Like, or, becoming un- unhinged and Well, there's dangerous. that. There's that, and there's also the parallel between how they were looking at the cults and how they were looking at the dogs, and the fact that they were minimizing the effects on each other, and the effect that the cult could have, and the dogs could have, and so it, it kind of just yeah. sounds like the mayor's not doing a very good job. Yeah, it does sound like that, doesn't she's it? Pre- <laughs> she's pretending like she's got everything under control, but yeah. she's it's falling apart. Matt is pretending to, by the way, to uh, we have a cat in the room. He's pretending to like shoot him right now. <laughs> he's feral. <laughs> he's feral. <laughs> he's just laying on the rocking chair. Matt's just like and silently. Of course, feral cats, the only way you can tell between a feral cat and a and a non-feral cat is going up and trying to pet one. Uh, yes. Because otherwise, they just act like a cat. Yeah, they do. Right. <laughs> the Pope, I get the Pope. But Gary fucking Busey? How does he make the cut? Ours is not the reason why, Mike. What happened here, I... Oh, a woman hit me with her shoe. <laughs> Come on, really? Really? Mike, can I get another one? You sure, Chief? Yeah, I am. Thank you for your concern. Whoever you... When it happened, where were you? I was in my house. Cleaning out a gutter. Oh. Where were you? I was in a parking lot at the laundromat. Hey, 
we're still here. We sure are. Let's rate this. Who wants to go first? Oh. Nobody's ready, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard for me to rate this because I know it's a good show and I don't completely hate it, but I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, like, I just, I, mm, it's so complicated. It's just like you have to be in the right frame of mind, I think, to be able to watch the show. So what do you, what do you give it? Out of, out of ten. If I'm not in the right frame of mind, I'd give it like a six. But if I was in the proper frame of mind, I know it'd probably be closer to like an eight or nine. Mm. Let's give it a I don't want to give it a seven though. Six point five. Six point five. <laughs> okay. Out of ten. What? What's it of what? Uh, out of ten. Uh, Asian harem ladies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I feel similar. I was also going to give it a six point five. Um, but stop copying me. I'll give it a seven. Then. Stop! Stop! <laughs> this is going to become a copy cult. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't like cults either. I don't like seeing people get uh, manipulated into joining cults. And uh, I don't know, there wasn't many likable people to start with. I don't know. And and I've watched a little bit more and it just didn't grab us for some reason. I don't know if I can put my finger on why. (laughs) Again, like, I think you just either have to be in the right mind frame for it or... Mm. You know, I don't know. Um, I give it, yeah, 7 out of 10. I mean, it's, it's, the score is so high because I can recognize it's well made. Right. And the actors are good. And stuff. Right. Uh, it's just not for me, I guess. 7 out of 10 uh, mandatory cigarettes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, that leaves me. Um. Well, I'm also here, but... You're, no... You don't care. No, no. You, you know, you, you don't you, care. You, you've been taken away. Oh, no. I've been taken. <laughs> and all I've left Wait. behind are my shoes. <laughs> 50% of the mats were taken. Um, <laughs> there could only be one. <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's hard because uh, should I should I um, judge the pilot or the show itself and um i i don't know i didn't wasn't too thrilled with the pilot when i finished it um but i did get into the show uh but i still i'd go with an eight for the pilot i'd go with an eight out of ten um Oh, I wanted to make some kind of joke about remnants, partially from Mel, because, you know, I mean, you get... Leftovers? Leftover 
cloth is called remnant. And, you could and have said, all... like, leftover fucking delicious meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was what I was thinking. No, um, uh, but I'm going to go with um, eight out of ten religious crazies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, no surprise, I adore this show. It's a top five mm. all-time show for me. Aww. But, um, so it hurts my heart. I'm sorry, I Matt, I know. But you I know, know what? The first season, especially the first half of the first season, but, like, the first season, to me, is not as strong as seasons two and three, which are these, I've already called them, like, mystery boxes, like, little puzzle boxes of... of of storytelling, the, the scripting, the plotting uh, is so tight going mm-hmm. forward, and I really respect that. And the cast just like like the cast gets bigger and better, and mm. it just becomes like this deeper, richer show the longer it goes on. And parts of it that don't work as well fall by the wayside and become less important. And the more antagonistic parts like the guilty remnant fall away and and still be have relevance but like in a less confrontational way so i just think the show is i wouldn't say it's symbolic but it's mysterious and i really like the vibe that it has and what it has to say about grief and how different how people process grief differently mm-hmm. and Nora Durst is one of my all-time favorite characters because of the way that she holds on to her pain and how it how it kind of moves through her. I feel like a kinship with her because I feel like I w- if I were in her shoes, I would feel the same kind of like I've got this, I've got this, but like it would just like bubble out sometimes and like explode mm-hmm. and I feel like that's mm-hmm. like I look at Nora and I feel so like compassionate toward her and I just mm-hmm. think she's Lovely, and the show was well filmed and well acted, and it's got some kooky stuff in season two, um, mm-hmm. like some really <laughs> kooky things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. There's an episode of the hotel. That's all I'll say. Like the the where yep. the places it goes, like you can't even really imagine based on this start. And I just think it, and it ends um, in a very unusual way. Don't tell, me, ep- don't tell me, don't tell I'm me, don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you. Just that the last episode is very strange, and it's yet it's perfect. Like, it's just, it's so perfect, and it's one of those things, like, it, like I think about this show all the time. So wow. I, I absolutely love it. I feel like it. I need to give this show another shot. And you know what? You're not the only person. Sorry to interrupt your rating, but... <laughs> God, I was, it was I know. going so great, I, too. On I such know. a roll. He was on such if, a roll. If only I could disappear right this very moment. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, no. Anyway, no. since you interrupted, no, but, what were you going to say? Sorry, but I just, I do want to say, like, I've had not just you, but other people recommend this show to me. Like, I know it's a well-regarded show. And I, I want to give it another shot. But, like, I feel like, I just have to, like I said, I just have to be in the right mindset to, and I don't know when that will be, but probably someday. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I probably have like hyped it up so much. Like I, I've had risk of overselling it. And when you do watch it, you'd be like, yes, it does get better, but I still don't get what he gets out of it. But I, when <laughs> season three was on the air and the show was firing in all of its cylinders, it was at the same time that Twin Peaks The Return was on. Ew. And I was like... <laughs> 
what Matt and Mel like from Twin Peaks. Well, I know they like the kooky, like small town stuff, but the kind of sort of like honest and interesting and like well developed characters and relationships, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's not what Twin Peaks The Return had. Because no, I will never pass by an opportunity to dump on Twin Peaks The Return. But <laughs> thank you. When I that was on <laughs> and The Leftovers <laughs> was on, I was like. They're just like opposite ends of the quality spectrum. So I feel like you may, I don't know, maybe you'll never like The Leftovers and that's fine. But Mm. I do think I would like to like it, though. Seasons two and three, uh, in my opinion, are very special works of art. And uh, but I'm supposed to be rating the pilot. And I do like the way that the pilot sets up a lot of things. Mm. And even though it's not. There's a lot. It also has a lot of the stuff in the, that I don't like about the show all contained within this kind of extra long episode. But overall, I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten cracker pickles. <laughs> you know, there's another thing. Um, like, you have, it, have a show like Breaking Bad, which I was actually watching when it wasn't getting good ratings. And there came a point when I was like, I cannot watch this anymore it's not because it's not a great show it's a great show but i can't watch this man just going down this hole and i particularly have a problem with that story i mean in all its forms that self-destructive you see the person spiraling down and you know that the whole show is going to be about the spiraling down till they hit the absolute bottom and i just have a problem with that and it might be the same thing mel that you know it's like just not a show that your psyche wants to deal with i you know i'm not going to watch the last few episodes last few seasons of breaking bad i yeah i recognize it's a great show i thought it was a great show when i watched the first couple seasons <laughs> but there comes a point I can understand why people wouldn't stick with Breaking Bad as well, because it is quite depressing. Yeah. Oh, so you'll watch Breaking Bad, but you won't watch The Left. <laughs> I see how it is. I see it's how the, it is. There's no cult in Breaking Bad. <laughs> see, but the thing in The Leftovers that that is different for me in Breaking Bad, because I, as I say, I have a problem with that. Oh, here's a person. We're going to watch them destroy their lives yeah and that's the whole point of the show is watching them slowly destroy their lives yeah um in the leftovers it's not there are people that are destroying their lives but there's hope that they will be pulled out of it and there are people who are trying to help them pull out of it and there is you know there is that hope that things could get better Mm-hmm. Because they are trying to make it better, and it's not just about the devolution of of someone. You know? you know, as as good as Breaking Bad is, like I would never watch it again, and mm-hmm. I would never say that it's my favorite show. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even one of my favorite shows. It was just I appreciated that it was a good show and it was well done, but it's not like. Oh, it's like not always enjoyable to watch. Like it's actually really infuriating to watch at times, mm-hmm. and really, I found it really, really stressful to watch personally. Yeah, but yeah, 
self-destructive behavior, especially when they're pulling other people down with them. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, it's really it's, hard for me. Yeah, really especially if you get, like, really invested in it, and mm-hmm. uh, you're, like, you know, like, you just, mm-hmm. oh, it just gives you icky feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, <laughs> here's a question for you for to me? think about. For me? Yeah. Or for the other one? No, you. Okay. okay. Um, it's good that I know voices. Yeah. Uh, uh, would you be interested in doing like a bonus episode where we just talk about um, the leftovers when I get season three done? <laughs> That's not a question you have to ask, of course. Because <laughs> I would love to get more in depth about, you know, about the entire series. Yeah, we'll do it. Okay, cool. I just have to get the season, the season three disc one working. Okay. Um, if you can, that, I'll get you the episodes. Okay. Hell or high water. I'll okay. get you those episodes. Yeah. No, I'd love to do like a bonus episode where we just talk about, you know, we go through and we talk about the leftovers, the whole series. For, yeah, for sure. And uh, if you want to know um, some preliminary thoughts on the finale, for this is for other listeners. Uh, I did talk about the finale with Robin way back when, like nice. the day <laughs> after it aired or a couple days after it aired. So that exists. on we got we got another show to talk about let's do it and uh this one is a six-part miniseries that first aired august 16th 2015 it's called show me a hero and it was written by william f zorzi and david simon and it was directed by ex-scientologist paul haggis speaking of guys who left cults yeah really for him and uh this one's going to be tough to uh, to recap, unless it's me, because I've watched all six parts, in which case it'll be a little easier. But uh, we'll just see who... Wouldn't goes. it be funny if it was me again? You're, you're not you're, uh, you're immune. You have immunity. Oh, because I would have loved to fuck this up again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you won't be, but it will be Matt who can fuck it up. Uh, I, was, I was afraid of this. I was just, we were discussing how complicated the subject matter of the show was. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of it has to do with um, racial politics. So yes. have fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, Matt. 
Good luck. Uh, be very, very, very super sensitive. Yeah. And uh, just let uh, me know when you're ready or just start no, talking no, and I'll start no the No pressure, stopwatch. though. No pressure at all. And Lots of pressure. <laughs> Yonkers, New York politics. Yonkers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three, two, one. All right. So Oscar Isaac is a guy. He's got some stomach issues. He likes to hang around in graveyards and throw up on things. Um, <laughs> he's also uh, in the city council in uh, New York. Uh, I don't know where Yonkers is, but uh, it's apparently in New York. Um, and he's involved in that somehow. And he, somebody suggests he run for mayor. So he's like, sure, I'll run for mayor. I've always wanted to be mayor. Uh, and he gets... He gets there by getting votes of people who are probably racists, I guess. And in the meantime, he like hits on some people, or not some people, one <laughs> one one girl who works in his office. And uh, then we also see the lives of people living in low income housing, and they all got it shitty. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> One minute, five seconds. Hey! <laughs> really, really good showing. <laughs> if you had left out just that little part about him being a, a kind of a sleazy guy hitting on that secretary, uh, you would have made it. Oh, I didn't. We didn't think it was sleazy. I don't think. I thought she was into it. <laughs> yeah, she was totally. Well, they get married. It. <laughs> she was but, I mean, like a, she was giving kind of a power imbalance situation, right? Or was he was she not his secretary? Uh, she, she was, was okay. not other secretary. secretary. Okay, well then I then then it's okay. Sleaze, yeah. sleazy sleazy retracted. <laughs> okay. Carol, how close is Yonkers to you? Close um, at it's, all or not at all? Yonkers. Yeah, it's, it's close. It's because it's right outside New York City. It's it's like right north of New York City. And, why, did, uh, why did we spend some time in the beginning in Westchester? What does that have to do with anything? Westchester is a county, so I think Westchester, Yonkers may be part of Westchester. I'd have to look it up, but Yonk, if not, Yonkers is right next to Westchester. Um, we were doing, they, when they were doing the flyover, Matt was like, oh, that's where the X-Men's mansion is. You know, the funny thing is, I was, I literally have in my notes, uh, you know, Great views of Manhattan, wonderful mm-hmm. view of, you know, going up the Hudson River and you got to see the New Jersey Palisades and uh, that's those cliffs that are um, that were over on the the right hand side or whatever, you know, depending on which direction you're looking from. But those cliffs over that go down to the Hudson, that's on the New Jersey side. And um, and some great views. At one point, I'm like looking at it, it's like, wait a second, is that's is that a view from Yonkers? That's not a view from Yonkers. That's a view from uh, Washington Heights. But, you know, be that as it may, it's Yonkers is right outside New York City. At this time, I request that we stop saying the word Yonkers. I'm beginning to grow angry every time I hear it. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a tough 40 hate, minutes because... Uh, I just don't like the word. I don't like the name Yonkers. Yonkers. I noticed that during your uh, summary, you avoided saying it. <laughs> Well, I said it was. It's probably from a Dutch word. It's probably. <laughs> it, I mean, everything. It's an obnoxious, you know what? It's an obnoxious <laughs> sounding name, but it does kind of seem like the name of the place where the people who sound like that would live. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, 
like Walla Walla Washington. It's like too silly. It's also making like for some reason this isn't the character's name, but there was a character like on nineties cartoon character who was like a cop and he was some sort of animal and the, and the show was called Bonkers, I think. Yeah, it was like a weird anytime cat. Thing. Yeah, anytime. Oh, well, I'm you know, know that's a headline. It's Bonkers and Yonkers. That you ah. must that's must have been a headline at some point. <laughs> it's Bonkers and Yonkers, yep. folks. <laughs> date dateline, Yonkers. Well I when I watched this first episode, I did not know what was going on for a lot of it. And mm-hmm. it took a long time, I think, for the premise to kick in, which I mm-hmm. don't think is great. And Yet I felt like the issue that they were talking about was probably important, so that's when I decided to watch the rest of it, and I'm glad that I did, and I can expand on what I wouldn't I even say. I wouldn't even say what Matt left out of his summary because what I'm what I was going to tell you wasn't really in the first part, and I think that's a problem. But go ahead. Yeah. I was, yeah, a question up front, is this based on a true story? It is definitely based on a true story, and a little bit later, we're going to watch a video clip, which oh. is a lot of fun, because there's, there's a lot of fashion, too. Oh, how cool. Oh, yes! I, I love I was, 80s fashion! Because I was wondering, why does this take place in the 80s? It must be a true story. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a true story. So the, the higher-level uh, recap, then, is that a federal judge said that the city of Yonkers... Needed to build some low-income housing, and it most more importantly, it needs to desegregate because all of the minorities are off to the side in a tenement complex or several different complexes. But the miniseries focuses on on this one set of buildings, and uh, the judge says you've you've got to build affordable housing in nice areas where, yes, black people can live with white people. Mm-hmm. And this is what sets off the firestorm of racism, basically, because they can dress it up any way that they want. And, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, there is a line later where uh, the character of Nick Wasisko, played by Oscar Isaacs, says, you know, this other guy, he doesn't use all the slurs that he that you know you expect he he says things like property values or yeah like property values or or just like a different kind of people or different class of people or different standards mm-hmm. this is all code language for we don't want to live with black people yeah that, and, there was that one guy in the meeting who was like i'm not racist i just don't like poor people <laughs> like that's any better but <laughs> yeah well, but, or the guy, and, or the guy when he was passing around pamphlets that straight up was a racist. Yeah, <laughs> he says anyone's welcome to live in my neighborhood if they have the money. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but yeah, as, that was awful. And there, there are people they'll call them animals, like those animals, because they uh-huh. look at the way that the the buildings that they live in and how they're kept. Well, it's all economics, right? Yeah. Do you think people would want to live like that if they if they had the means to do it? But it's Number one, they're renters, and renters are never going to take care of the property that they don't own. Why would I put – even where I live in, a, in this house, like I've thought, oh, I'd love to plant some stuff and make a little garden for myself. And then I think, but I don't own this place, so why mm-hmm. would I spend my money on that yeah. investment unless I could get it taken out of my rent in some way? But then my yeah. landlord would say I'd rather have the money than ha- than you have a patio, right? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And but they look at the they they being the the people of Yonkers look at those uh, buildings and and we don't want that here. We don't want the graffiti here. We don't want the drugs here. We don't want the black people here. We have this nice neighborhood, these things going for us. We like to keep we keep where we are and with the people that we know and they can keep with their people. And that's how it's been and that's how it should stay. And the the judge says, "No, that's not how it should stay and you have to do something about it. You have to build 200 low-income houses or, you know, um buildings, apartments, townhomes." And it's up to you to decide where you're going to put them, but you come up with a plan, you bring the plan to me, I will sign off on the plan after you've signed off on the plan, and we'll get to building these these buildings. And the city of Yonkers, uh, because of the, you know, the racists in town, say, uh, we'd rather spend $15 million fighting this than actually do the thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. and then actually Cisco, take care of people. We'd rather you think it'd be the like the easier option, mm. but they're so obstinate and they're so racist, but they won't admit that they are. No. And two hundred units is not a lot of of housing. I was thinking about oh. this. My apartment complex in Vallejo, I no longer live there, but when I did, I was in building twenty six and there were eight units in a building. So that's mm. over two hundred right there. And I'm thinking like this was not a very large area it like existed at the end of a street and you could drive by it and not even realize that it's there 200 and some houses you know like dwellings lived in this little area like it's almost nothing but for them it's like the element the outside element is encroaching on our that the neighborhoods that we work so hard to, to build and maintain and and we care about our houses, and they obviously don't, because look at their houses, and look at all, yeah, da, 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 so. The problem with that, though, is that if you care so much about what the houses look like, why don't you offer to help them, like, or, you know, like, like, I feel like that would just be the neighborly thing to do, like, say, if you know how to fix a certain thing, or know someone that knows how to fix a certain thing for not too expensive, like, why wouldn't you put them in touch or just you know do something about it instead of whining and bitching (laughs) and being a jerk i'm sure we're gonna get raptured (laughs) i hope so (laughs) i'm sure there's a government fund that is intended for the upkeep of those buildings and i'm sure it's very small and gets smaller every year yeah but uh we're gonna talk a little bit later uh hopefully about a a housing theory that has to do with do with all of that. But to go back to Nick Wasisco for a moment, he uh, he was one of the the people who voted against the housing and wanted to fight it. His the mayor said, "We can't fight it. We we've spent too much time and money trying to. We have to build the housing." Mm-hmm. So there was an election, and the mayor lost, and Nick Wasisco was a uh, elected mayor. What does Nick find out as soon as he becomes mayor and probably privy to all these extra meetings and information? There's no point in fighting this. So he has to change his stance because now that he's on the inside, he can see it, it doesn't work. Like we're going to, the city's going to go bankrupt if, and nearly does. And all these services start to be cut and 
the library closes. Oh my God. And it's like, Nick, why'd you close the library? And he's like, I didn't close the library. We don't have money for the library because we have to pay these fines because of this thing that I, I can't fight. Well, I thought you were going to fight it. That's why we elected you. But I can't. But I also have to keep the li- – like he can't win. He's he's in a situation now where he can't win. And the politics yeah. of the town just destroy him. So That's sad. That's kind I of don't his... envy, envy envy anybody in the mayor position of a of a city that doesn't have money. Because that's what <laughs> like our, our city our city is in that position, and it. Uh... We love you, Mayor Don Darling. <laughs> <laughs> he get he gets crapped on like it like is... a lot of people love him because you can tell that he truly cares about the city. He's a really nice guy. He's a very nice He's the guy. Best he can. We're just, just the, poor. <laughs> we're just we're just like we're just lacking money, and a lot of people will give them such a hard like they're not even like understanding they just like i don't know you see those people like on like social media they just want to shit on people for the sake of shitting on people because they're bitter about life (laughs) yeah anyways Uh, they're they're ruining his life and he's not going to run for mayor again yeah (laughs) but you know that's uh he's probably in his 40s late 40s i would say yeah he's got adult children well think about nick wasisco he's 28 I know, that's like, even that's, sadder. I can't even imagine trying to like be responsible. I mean, this is this is not a thing that he created. He inherited this problem. And it's not even really a Yonkers problem. It's an America problem. Mm-hmm. So, And it's like hi- centuries of history problem. And mm-hmm. this is... So the, the, the show... And I th- again, I think the pilot... Not a pilot, but the first part of the miniseries just doesn't do doesn't put this part of it at the forefront as best as it could. And I can, you know, I'll get a little bit more into that in my ratings, but that is essentially what this entire uh, miniseries is about. It's about the city of Yonkers and its residents unwilling to bend to an edict from a liberal federal judge who says you have to do something for these people uh these they should be your neighbors but you treat them like garbage and then blame them you know so it's that's the whole show uh in a nutshell carol what did you want to say a couple things in answer to mel's question about why they don't help out etc etc simple word starts with an r ends with an m um yeah, racism is. There's a new book that came out uh, that I saw advertised just recently on a bunch of different talk shows, uh, where it talks, it traces the economic impact of racism and how much money is just wasted on on uh, keeping keeping the policy racist policies alive and and racist policies in general, and just how much money it costs us. Hmm. And uh, that's, you know, that's a lot of it. And, you know, uh, there's a whole thing where white people aren't poor. White people just are temporarily out of funds before becoming rich. Um, You know, people of color, they're poor. So whenever, you know, they're talking about cutting assistance to the poor and everything... You've got all of these white people with no funds who are like, well, yeah, because those guys are freeloaders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've, they've sold this to 
you know, the American public. And it, it really is, it costs us in so many different ways. It's just, you know, so self-defeating. But, um, you know, it just keeps, keeps happening. So, yeah, this was not news. My town basically has been fighting the same battle, but we, we're smaller and we're more spread out. We're not a city per se, but, you know, Yonkers, I was just looking at the, the population figures. <laughs> 1980, I know this is 85, but 1980, it was just, it was 195,000 people. Um, so we're talking about, you know, fairly, but it is sort of spread out. And in 1970, it was 92% white. And in 1990, it was down to 76% white. And 2010, it was 55% white. So the um, so the population of black, Hispanic, and Asians have been going up, and you know these people did not want it going up, and uh, yeah, my town has been fighting the whole um, uh, affordable housing and all of that for decades and they do it in all different ways that they possibly can mm. it's very dispiriting 200 units and four possible sites it's not the end of the world guys we spread it around no district is more than one site no site gets more than 50 or so units i'm thinking maybe we double the number of proposed housing sites eight sites means less units in any one neighborhood less anger from voters we spread the pain thinner Oh, we dump all of Spalone's district either way. <laughs> like I said, it's better to be on the inside when a deal goes down. I'm asking you all to be co-sponsors. I'm not going to bother with Spalone on them. We know how they stand. Christ, an election year. Tell me about it. Thank Look, you. I know you guys would rather do nothing and let the judge pick the sites himself, but the judge ain't buying that. He put it on us. I can't be a co-sponsor. I just can't have my name on it. Come on, Frank. Yeah, but you can vote for it, right? Or Angela will put three of the eight sites in your district. <laughs> Look, I understand complying and that the law is the law, but what about our appeal? We should have never appealed in the first place. Not a chance in hell they'll overturn sand. But we're still paying the lawyers to carry it to the Second Circuit, so if you want to tell the voters you're fighting it in the courts, you can. Honestly, guys, I think this is the only responsible option we have. You think about it over lunch, and I want a yes. <laughs> Nick! How's it going out there in the Hustings? Uh, Tough racking, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I hear you out there pounding the pavement, pressing the flesh. Hey, don't worry. You'll hit your stride. I'll see you, Angel. Outwardly, he's calm. Inside, he's terrified of me. Absolutely terrified. Yeah, well, at least if you lose, you lose to a six-term incumbent. Me? No. You'll pull it out, Vin. You will. Well, may see you say so. One of my other takeaways from this miniseries was just how people don't understand how government works mm -hmm. and bureaucracy works, and even the people within it just, like, go up against these limitations all the time and they don't have 
a way to tell the people like it doesn't work this way because to the people it's like but we elected you because you told us you could and now you find out that you can't like you're going back on your words so mm-hmm. Wasisco he um he gets the housing stuff passed and they start building it but he loses bid for re-ele- re-election because it's only a two-year term which seems insane but the they elect Alfred Molina his antagonist and mm-hmm. Alfred Molina's first speech is like, we will fight that affordable housing up until we can't. <laughs> and and the people in the crowd are like, wait, what did he say? Because mm-hmm. it's, for some, it's, it's like politically they know that they can't, but they'll run on that issue. And then mm-hmm. no one's like hip enough to understand who is like seriously wants to make a meaningful difference and who's, who's doing the manipulating. They don't. Yeah. Both parties are the same. It's lazy thinking, but they don't understand yeah. politics or how government works. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about Catherine Keener's character in a moment. I don't know if she shows up in the first episode, and she's a huge part of it. I don't know who Catherine Keener is. No. You would know her because she has a really white wig. She plays a, an older lady named Mary Dorman. Uh, she'll be in the clip that I'm going to show you, but... I'm going to tease it for a little while longer. But uh, she's this. She's a, a woman who is... She reminds me of a QAnon person in the sense that she's like never interested in politics, knows how none of it works, but suddenly one issue has like activated her, and now this is like her whole life. So she shows up to the city council meetings. I was like, I've never been to a city council meeting, but I'm ready to yell. Mm-hmm. Like, That's really helpful. So... Mm-hmm. There's a real fun scene at the end of the second part where she calls the mayor's office and she's expecting to like get a receptionist or get some aid or something. She doesn't think that the mayor himself is going to pick up the phone, but he's, but he's like, yeah, it's Nick. What's up? And she's like, wait, what am I talking with the mayor? And yeah, you're talking with the mayor. Well, I just think you shouldn't build the housing. Well, that's great, but I have no choice. Okay, thanks, bye. And she's like kind of surprised that he's just a guy that can answer the phone and not really like bureaucrat, but he's like a guy that's stuck. And she kind of gets it at the start. And a lot of the series is her sort of coming to terms with the limitations of what, you know, like everybody could do in their roles. But it takes takes her a while to to get the message across. But anyway, she just reminds me of a, of a Q person. Strong and wrong. What? Yeah, what? The lawyers online one. The lawyers? The lawyers. Nick here, Nick Wasisco. The mayor. Mayor elect. Right. Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh huh. No grounds at all? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. They did nine out housing appeal. Sided with sand on every count. I voted for the appeal, and I lost. 
Nothing I could do about that, right? Yeah, they can't blame you. Right? Yeah. Except the Q people aren't trying to figure it out. They are sure that they've got the answer. Well, she's sure that- she's got the answer, too. A lot of them are. It, it, mm-hmm. As I said, it takes her almost the entire run of the of the miniseries, but she's actually recruited for a p- part of the project for building the homes. They want to find the most anti-housing people so that they could bring them into the fold and kind of convince... If we can convince the worst people, mm-hmm. the most antagonistic, angry people that are in the opposition and show them that it's not as bad as they think it's going to be, then we can win over all the people below them, like domino effect. Right. So they bring her in, and they take her to where the 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 future apartment dwellers, townhome dwellers live currently. It's funny because they say, don't use that staircase, use this staircase. Well, this is, this is the staircase for going up and down. Well, what's the other staircase for? Implying that that's where people do drugs and deal drugs, like in that staircase. So she doesn't know anything about how uh, other people live, but she kind of sees like, oh, it's just people who have lives and have mm-hmm. kids and their kids go mm-hmm. to school and their kids come home and they have homework. And it's just a mom who's struggling to pay the bills and bring, you know, put food on the table and raise her children. And guess what? They're just people. Yes. People are just people. Yes. But, yeah. but for her, it's like, oh, I never even really, until until a black person stopped and said hi to me, I really saw them as a threat. <laughs> and it it takes her a while, but if the end credits are to be believed when they update us on like who these people were in real life, apparently she does become like a real community organizer, like go between between um, the people who end up living in the new townhomes that do get built and like the rest of the community. Like she becomes a friendly, but it, oh my God, it takes a while. I'm just, you- I was, I was just like, uh, I, and not that I'm not paying attention. I am, but I was just scrolling through Facebook and um, I came across funnily enough across this article that uh, says um, it's the title is, Black couple's home is valued at 345,000 euros more after white friend pretends she owns it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> uh, you know, the, one, but anyway, I, I just thought it was funny because it's kind of like related to what we're talking they, about. I think they might have like switched all the, like the, the photos inside for a white family and stuff. Like I think they did all that. <sighs> yeah. Well... It's a good social experiment, and it's very telling, not all, all surprising. Yeah. No, it goes right along with most of the other social experiments that have been done, as far mm-hmm. as results go. Um, you know, the when you were saying about um, the woman becoming a an advocate and so forth, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that, that is true. And it's something that frustrates me no end, um, that... There's an awful lot of people who always feel like people can't change. That, you know, everybody is, like, if you were raised a certain way, that's it. It's an excuse not to change, and it's also an excuse not to try and get other people to change. No, what I hate is the, 
oh, they're from a different time. No, mm-hmm. no, they're not. They're living in our time. They, mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. as long as you're alive, you can change. Mm-hmm. All the con- all the Confederate slave owners, yeah, they lived in another time. They're dead. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're dead. You can't change. You, your 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 grandmother, she can she can change. Your grandfather, he can change. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is that they have to want to change, and a lot of people are perfectly co- comfortable in their own ignorant uh, selves, you know? Well, I mean, they don't even really have to want to change. They they have to have something to, some impetus. Yes. That, oh, will, sure. that will get through to them. Yeah. And How will this help me? Yeah, it's right. purely selfish, yeah. Right, I mean, that's a debate I had just the other day, actually, um, that left a really bitter taste in my mouth. Oh, gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Ra- racism, anti-racism, it's a really bitter, <laughs> bitter yeah. thing to deal with. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big advocate of whatever will be the the wedge to get people to start, you know, thinking differently, to seeing other people as human beings, use it. And then you can bring in all the other stuff, but get that, that, you know, that wedge in there. And, um, I, somebody had asked me about, um, how do you, um, I can't get people to, to understand that there's such a thing as white privilege and how do I get, you know, how do I explain it to someone? And so I went into a thing about, you know, if somebody is asking the question here, here's the ways I've found to do this and blah, yada, 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 yada. And somebody else came on the next thing and said, don't bother with people if you have to explain it to them. Just do this and that. And it's like, no, if someone wants something to explain to you, it means that there's an opening. Mm-hmm. It means they're interested. You've already got, you know, as opposed to the people who don't want to hear it at all. You know, you've already got an tough, opening. I, I'd say tough to tough to say that on the on the internet because sometimes people on the internet will ask the questions because they just want to waste your time and they're trying to provoke you. Yes. Right. And it's oh, not yeah. a sincere query of because I was hearing Tucker right. Carlson, I think, a clip yeah. of him going, "What is white privilege?" Like, right. that's not a right. serious question. You have had plenty of opportunity to answer that right. question. You know, and you're a liar and you're an opportunist. Like, that's, right. I'm not, not going to talk to you. Like, like, but there's people who are like that, who, yes. who are like, yes. uh, explain it to me, but they don't want to hear the answer. Right. Yes. And you're absolutely anyway, right. it took, but, it takes Mary Dorman a little while to, uh, to come to Jesus on this, but eventually, <laughs> She does. She runs these meetings with uh, another woman who, um, white woman, and they, when the, when the tenants start moving in, and, and they're all single moms. And, because of course, they have all the responsibility. So they're in these meetings, and she's helping mediate between them and their neighbors. They're white neighbors who, like, let the dog poop on the lawn and don't pick it up. Poodle lady. Or, the neighbors who honk their horns or drive by or stare and, and the police come. Well, we can't do anything about staring, even though we know it's unsettling. But the residents move from their drug-filled apartment complex into these nice townhomes, but they're still sleeping with baseball bats by their beds because 
now it's the white neighbors who are threatening their security. So Mm -hmm. they've traded one unstable environment for another. Mm -hmm. I was reading this article about this miniseries, and they made a good point where it's hard to do a show like this and not turn it into a white savior kind of Mm. program because it is the white Mm -hmm. characters who have the most power in this situation because obviously it's a power dynamic Mm -hmm. and so if there's going to be a change it's going to be somebody like nick wasisco who makes the change but at the end of the day it's okay it affects him but it affects his career it doesn't day to day the people living in the in the townhomes like they're the most effective so Mm -hmm. it's really theirs it's their story too so that's why you have these sub storylines with Carmen, and I can't remember all their names, but the lady who's going blind, which is really awful because she's only in her 40s. Mm-hmm. So we have all this like assortment of characters that come that are trying to apply for the new housing, and we spend time with them. But I do think it's like whenever we go to them, it's a little less interesting because the thing that makes the show the most unique is the Yonkers politics. So I feel like maybe the show becomes less interesting when it goes to the those other characters. And yet they're, I think, necessary to provide perspective. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. part, the, the parts about the, like, the white saviors is, is, was really noticeable to me, like, just especially when they were having meetings, because it was mostly, like, a room full of, like, old white men. <laughs> Which is what politics, you know, was and to some degree still is. And it bothers me, yeah, it bothers me that they were making decisions for people that weren't even involved in the decisions. Like, they didn't even have people from those neighborhoods. Or they didn't even consult anybody who actually lives in those neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. you know. And that should be a politician's job. They're supposed to be serving the people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I did not see really any of that. Like, I know it's like, maybe like, oh, well, I handed out pamphlets. <laughs> but are you guys pissing me about something? I do something wrong? This is a victory for the NAACP. It's, a, it's an honest-to-God legal precedent. How many other cities just pile the low-income housing into black neighborhoods and use federal money to segregate? This is, it's, it's a big win for the movement. Uh, ten years ago, I had agreed. Back then, I'd have seen this case as the answer to a problem. Most of us would have, but we've been at this game a long time, Mike. Longer than you, and a lot of us are at the point where if they don't want to live with us, then why should we want to live with them? Oh, come on. What are you? Are you serious? I don't know. Maybe I have grown old in this fight. Maybe the fight has grown old to me, but... Watching how this has played out over the last seven years, how much we're going through for a few hundred scattered units of housing. Executive director of the NAACP is arguing against integration. Who'd have thought it? I'm not arguing against anything, Mike. I'm just tired. But the lady who's going blind, she is with her friend. This is a scene in a different episode. And her friend's like, we're going to do a march through town, a peaceful demonstration. And we're just kind of, we just want to show those white people that we're not that different. We're not threatening. We're just, 
We just want opportunities, same as them, for our families, same as they want for their families. And mm-hmm. and the, the the blind woman, I can't remember the character's name, but it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go over there. I keep with mine. Mm-hmm. And so she has this attitude of she could go to the the, the town meeting, but she, she knows she's going to get yelled at. So she's mm-hmm. intimidated to not participate. Right. Sure. And it's easier to, I mean, it's easier to just give up, quite mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, even um, even that discussion I had the other day, there was a piece of me that just was like, you know what, I don't want to have this discussion. I just want to ignore it. And, you know, and eventually I just said, okay, enough. But, um, yeah, and and unfortunately... All the inst- the major institutions of power have been traditionally white in this country, and it's it's really uncomfortable and depressing for people who know that they're not invited to the table to try and force themselves there. Mm. Yeah. When the townhouses are being built, there it's not like anybody can just go live there. There is actually an application process. And part of what Mary's job is when she goes to the the kind of rundown um, tenement building is that she's supposed to be there to interview applicants. And then after people are, well, I don't know the chronology of this. Either they're interviewed and then there's a lottery, or there's there's a lottery and then they're. Inter- I think the lottery comes after. So you apply to be put on a list. If you get accepted, you're put on the list. And then there's a lottery for to get into the buildings as they're put up. And then there's a wait list. Mm -hmm. There's a scene of being told, being taught like a class. It's almost like an etiquette class. It's like, okay, this is a different area than where you, where you have been living. So this is what to expect. Uh, We also expect you to take care of your trash. This is how you double bag a trash bag. And it's so patronizing. And Mm -hmm. one of the, the ladies, it's like, excuse me, but are our white neighbors going to have to take this class so they know how to act around us? Because they're threatening us. They're tagging the homes. They're bur- trying to burn them down. You know, they're har- being they're harassing us. So mm-hmm. the double standard is like so stark. Mm-hmm. It's really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot to this to this program. I, I really ended up liking. So it's really it. it's really too bad that the pilot is the way it is. Yes. Because I um I was bored to tears mm-hmm. and I like nonfiction. <laughs> I like nonfiction a lot. And I as I was watching it, um especially because this is basically a local story and um for me, I mean I live in New Jersey and I'm tw- about twenty miles outside of New York City, but um Yonkers is not unknown, to say the least. And by the way, it is from the Dutch. Um, it apparently is derivated from something meaning uh, esquire or young gentleman or something like that, and referred to the person who owned originally owned the property, um, a Dutch guy. But um, when I saw, I thought to myself, this has got to be you know, either taken from reality or something. And I looked it up and it said, you know, from the nonfiction book. And I was like, 
ah, I want to like this. I want to, I want to want to go into this story. And quite honestly, it just was like, okay, can I get that disc of season three working so I can go back <laughs> and do leftovers instead of this? I don't, I, because I could have watched the second episode, or at least I had 28 minutes where I could have watched 28 minutes of it. There's a lot of meat to this whole miniseries, but it's, none of it's in the premiere, and I don't. And they must have known that, which is why they debuted both episodes on the same, like the first two, on the same night, because the second part is way better. But a lot of like what I'm talking about, like I, I don't know if any of this was really laid out there in the first part of this, and I think that's a real shame. It the exposition on this was done really badly quite honestly it it was just so so nuts and bolts and so you know like okay now we're going to talk about all the politicians and and it wasn't well, totally like, I mean, obvious that they were talking about you know what the issue was you know right it, right it was it took a while to say oh this is going to be about you know um affordable housing trying to be done in yonkers oh i got it Right. It took a very long time for the point of all of it to to coalesce. And it was almost like the filmmakers expected us to already know this story and that we would be able to orient ourselves a lot faster than I think is like realistic. The same with any like politics or news HBO show, I find. It's like... You all know how all this works already, right? So let's you just all go. read the New York <laughs> Times, right? But- but You're even, familiar with the structure of uh, these uh, these uh, organizations and uh, government offices, right? Okay, let's just let's but, go. <laughs> but it's not like this story, I mean, that this politician is so well known or his, you know, story of not doing well. I don't think he's so well known that that people, I mean, I've never heard of the guy. Right. And I was alive during 1985. I was not paying that much attention to Yonkers too, politics. I, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, think it was, I think it was 87. 87, yeah, but still, well, like, we would have been, like, well... I it was 85. Well, I would have been, oh, I yeah, I would have been, been five years old. No, you're right, 87. <laughs> February of 87 is what You're right, 87. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, a, I was an adult in 87. Um, and if it was, if it was somebody like... Um, Ed Koch or something like that, um, who was Edward I. Koch, who was the mayor of New York during the 70s and was a real character and a half and, you know, something like that. Then I'd be like, oh, okay, I, you know, I know what this is, you know, who this is about or what this is about. But this guy's name is not something that is going to ring all kinds of bells with. I mean, Yonkers is not. Manhattan, you know? Right. And this was 2015, so, like, this is quite a distance from when yeah. this happened. That, yeah. That, that we're expected to, oh, yeah, Nick Wasisco, I remember the housing controversy in Yonkers that cost him his second term. Like, no, you don't. No one does. That's <laughs> no. that's a crazy thing to expect. No. I, wonder who wa- I wonder who wanted to tell the story and why. Well, I think the reason why is because of the racial politics as well as the politics politics. I guess, but that's probably very, like, widespread. You could probably find examples well, everywhere. Right. I'm I sure. Mean, I, I wonder why they, yeah, I wonder why they did it. Yeah, I wonder why they did it. It's a good story. 
by the end, is there something really dynamic about the story that other than the, I mean, the guy's career was, I don't know whether it was destroyed or what, or whether this guy went on to do something else. Well, let me tell you about Nick Wasisko, because I did a little, uh, I wrote up a biography about him. Okay, so okay. he was born in Yonkers, raised in Yonkers, graduated from Manhattan College with a degree in government. He served for a year as a county police officer, then he graduated from New York Law School the same year he was elected the youngest mayor of a major U.S. city, which is when we start part one when he becomes mayor. After all of the, the fracas over the housing, he lost his bid for re-election as mayor. Then he practiced law, he taught law, he hosted a local radio talk show, which I'm told is like a podcast. He <laughs> was eventually re-elected as a councilman. Then he unsuccessfully ran for city council president. He kept running for things and he kept losing and he kept running against his friends, which is a real like interesting element to this is that the longer you stay in politics, the more enemies you make out of your friends and the more like alienated you become. That's so sad. So Winona Ryder's character, they're friends throughout most of it until he realizes that he can't win all the things he wants to win. So he runs against her and basically turns his friend into a uh, rival, a political rival. So, because there's only so many seats at the table, so eventually your friends become your rivals, and that's really just like a sad reality. And that's just like a shading onto this. I I wanted to call out because I, I really like liked it because it's truthful. Anyway, I speaking of allies becoming rivals and stuff. I was very impressed by how professional the handover of power was between the old mayor and the new new mayor, at least in this episode. <laughs> you, um, no, okay, never mind. Does that change later? <laughs> what? Yes, I, I'm referring to the recent uh, yeah attempt. Mm, the trials. But it was I, yes. it was it was nice to see. Uh, but I can congratulate back him in, and, and yeah. They back kept, in 2015, that wouldn't have been considered an odd element in the yeah. <laughs> the story. Peaceful transition of power. What's that? Well, yeah, I wonder that's... if um, is it Jim Belushi? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If his if uh, like his character as the old outgoing mayor was like fine, it's his problem now. Yeah, because <laughs> like, they're a relief yeah. to be like. Uh, but I think he runs again too. He probably does. He probably was like, um, like so many are like, okay, yeah, give it a shot, fella. I'll be back in a couple of years. Don't worry about it. Uh, let's see how you do, and then I'll pick up the pieces. You know. And- so. Nick Wasisko, he's nominated for a Profiles in Courage Award. Oh, my. And I don't think he wins, though if it if he did win, it would come with a $25,000 prize. There's a very funny scene where he's talking to his old friend, because he's being treated as very toxic by his own party, because he's so associated with this whole debacle, and no one wants to touch him. But once it gets built, they'll take credit for it. And so... Yeah. He just feels very burnt by all of his previous friends and allies. And he's like, they nominated me for this thing. I'm a hero. And his friend says, you don't get to call yourself a hero. A hero is what other people call you. Mm-hmm. And is he really a hero? Because I feel like he just kind of does the most pragmatic thing, mm-hmm. which is not fight the thing that's nearly bankrupting the city. Like after a certain point and beating your head against the wall, you have to just sort of accept reality and just just do it. Is is just accepting it being a hero. But anyway, I don't think calling it uh, Show Me a Pragmatist would have been a, as good a name for the miniseries. Show Me a Pragmatist. 
I would have checked it out. <laughs> he was a, a board member and former chairman of the Yonkers Industrial Development Agency. When $500,000 went missing from the agency's coffers, some suggested that Cisco may have embezzled the money, and this put a lot of stress on him, and he started to spiral and think that his political enemies were tapping his phones and oh targeting God. him and attaching transmitters to the bottom of his car so that he could be followed. And when Michael Wasisco said that he had asked his brother whether he had done anything wrong, and Nick had responded that he had not, he said, but it doesn't matter. The way that the system is set up, you don't have to have done anything wrong. Well, authorities later cleared him, said they never thought he was responsible for stealing the $500,000. It turned out to be a former agency secretary. She admitted to embezzling at least part of the $500,000. And the... Deputy Chief of Staff to the mayor said, I can unequivocally say that no one in this administration thought Nick Wasisco stole a dollar from the IDA. But the the embezzlement scandal, the alienation from his friends, the the, the citizens, the constant harassment, it like it all just kind of reached a boiling point, I suppose, and that could be one of the multitude of reasons why at the age of 34, he shot himself with a 38 caliber pistol while oh, overlooking the grave of his father at Oakland oh. Cemetery in Yonkers. That's awesome. Okay. That's why they did it. Okay. Wow. I yeah. take it that's part of the series? Um, he's constantly talking to his father's gravestone in, like, in every part, and it kind of becomes clear at the end that they're just showing the final... He must have been... That's kind of what they were layering on, which where it was leading, but yeah. very subtly. So, yeah. but yes, uh, he was 34, and when you look at everything he accomplished and how educated he was and how dedicated he was to his city, mm-hmm. it just it feels like the city of Yonkers killed him. That's my yeah. hot, that is my yeah. hot take. <laughs> city of Yonkers went bonkers, killed him in Francisco. <laughs> That sucks. Okay. Right. Well, that's why. Want to watch some uh, the real Nick Wasisco and the city council meeting? Sure. By the way, I want to mention how I thought that it was adorable when he was trying to woo the secretary. And, like, it was weird when she was like, oh, good night. And she went to, like, kiss him on the cheek or whatever. And he kissed her, like, on the lips. I was like, and then she acted all like, oh, like, what are you doing? And it's like, what do you expect? Like, you just kissed him on the cheek. Like, did you really think this was not going to go anywhere? And you weren't even on a date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Anyways, but it was really cute when he left and he was like, woohoo. <laughs> it was so adorable. <laughs> he seemed like a nice guy and he just wanted he to buy a house yeah. and he, yeah. he buys a house for his wife and he starts renovating it and he goes to the hardware store and he gets dirty looks. He just seems like a person, like, just really stuck. Yeah. Despite all the things he's doing, like he just carries around with him this just albatross of, of being a failure and being a really unliked, which seems very strange because he, he seems like a likable guy. But um, I'm going to cue up the clip when you're watching it. The the woman who appears and is like, I can't believe this happened in, in this town and on this day and this night. And like, this is how it went. And uh, she's got this white hair and her, I don't know. Like just that's that's Mary Dorman. She's the one who later becomes turns around and becomes like a human being, which is nice that we Love can it. like. It takes a long time though. I keep thinking like Mary, hurry up. This stuff <laughs> doesn't happen overnight, you know. No, it takes six but it, episodes. 
but it can happen. Mm-hmm. All day long, homeowners who do not want public housing have been encouraging their councilmen not to cave in. The mayor needs to change just one vote. Councilman Nicholas Longo had voted no. Tonight, the mayor hopes he will vote yes. Do you think Nick is going to feel that? Sure he is. I mean, they're yelling outside already. There's actually no meaning going on here. Yeah, no. Yeah. Disturbing the peace. <laughs> no, no I'm telling them to quiet down and see what they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wait, you want me to convene the meeting? That'll quiet them down, then wait, you try wait, to keep wait, it quiet? Is it? Okay, let's do that. Let me convene. I'm going out. Other guys around? I call to order the recess meeting of Friday, September 9th, 1988. I'll let the record reflect that this uh, meeting is being called back to order uh, at 11.57. I'm going to ask for a 15-minute uh, recess uh, so that we can accomplish that, and I thank you for your patience. It could still go the other way. Longo's been the one guy that's been on all sides of the issue. They're afraid of the crowd screaming and all of that. That's what they're afraid of, that the crowd will intimidate him and that he'll, he won't, he'll get cold feet and he won't vote to comply. don't believe that this is happening in Yonkers after all we've gone through to go through a day like this and a night like this. Before the vote, Nick Longo makes a speech. This is not a very pleasant time for anyone who serves in government. Ladies and gentlemen, please. For anyone who serves in government in the city of Yonkers. For anybody who lives in the city. The crowd fears immediately that he is switching sides and will vote aye. It would seem that we have no alternative at this point but to adopt the ordinance as is and to continue. And two, Brute! It is not adopted. It will be a
over. Nick, you are done, okay? It's a, it's a sellout. It's a, you know, we've been raped, and we're going to be forced to pay for it. I am not intimidated by a situation like this. I'm aware of the Constitution of the United States of America, and the Constitution will prevail. I never thought it would get this bad. Certainly, there is a uh, component of racism to this on the part of some people. But I think if we looked within ourselves, we all have our own prejudices and our own um, imperfections. And the people of Yonkers are, are no different. Hey, here comes that dirty man! Tonight's battle is over. Tomorrow, the war continues. Tomorrow, the war continues. Race traitor. That's what they they were actually saying. (laughs) My favorite was the woman who's like, they didn't have to throw us out. We were leaving anyway. Says every person who's told to leave. I was leaving anyway. My favorite was the lady fixing her romper and, like, snapping the elastic on her butt. (laughs) (laughs) All the fashion, all the hair. Yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot of people who don't like black people. Yeah! Mm. So, Matt, Matt, how how did the story end? Did Yonkers fall apart when all the black folks moved in? Uh, It did not. It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Things went... Things. I mean, things had problems, but uh, obviously the... I don't know if they had really uh, – if not for this, would they have, like, done the applications and the vetting and the lottery? And I don't know if all those things came later out of respect for what was going on and trying to make things less contentious. But, um, like, watching that – like, watching those people just, like, it's it's like the least fun Parks and Rec episode. <laughs> It's city government. This is your city government. And normally I'm not a fan of things that like start you in me- media rays and like flash back. But I f- wonder if like, what if this miniseries had started with that vote and that scene? And cause later on they ha- they show it and they show uh, Oscar Isaac in the car with his wife, like with people banging on the windows of his car, like him trying to drive away. Wow. Would that have been a good way to start it? And then now let's see how we got here. I yeah. think it would have been better. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind the the whole flashing back thing and and all of that. That never really bothers me as long as it's done well and it's done for a reason. And in this case, it's like starting with the most boring part of the entire story is not necessarily the the best idea because it's like, okay, are we going to just have a day in the life of Yonkers politics is that what this this thing is you know it's like not my not the really the way I want to spend what little time I've got to myself you know Yonkers intentionally segregated its housing and its schools for 40 years this is a decision it was issued a year and a half ago. I too am growing impatient your honor when there is a violation of the constitution the remedy cannot be ignored because it is unpopular. On the subject of the housing remedy, Your Honor... Mr. Newman, 
Your Honor, the court's idea of concentrating 200 public housing units on just two sites is, well, I think there's a better way. We're only talking about 200 units in a city of 200,000 people. Yes, but you want it on just two sites in East Yonkers. For that to work, those 200 units would have to be spread out over more sites, maybe eight or ten. Eight or ten sites? Too many units in any neighborhood won't blend in with the community. It becomes isolated and divisive. Any low-income housing in Yonkers is divisive. That's how they see it. Your Honor, for the record, Yonkers city officials agree with Mr. Haynes' <laughs> assessment. All Yonkers city officials care about is getting reelected. They can use another study to keep them from doing anything until after the next election. They will. I did want to, to talk about the defensible space theory by Oscar Newman because that is part of the show and I said that I was going to talk about it. But basically, the defensible space theory purports that if somebody feels ownership over a thing, they will defend that thing. Mm-hmm. So by – like the, he, he says like the worst part of these high-rise buildings, these tenement buildings, the parts where the drug dealing happens and the drug taking happens and the graffiti happens is this public space that nobody feels ownership over. But people take care of their own homes. So – what we're going to do is we're not going to build a big high-rise building. We're going to build townhomes. They're going to have backyards. They're going to have front yards. And it's going to feel like a community. And every person who's a renter there at least feels like this is their space. And they're going to take care of their space. And then now you don't have to worry about bringing that urban blight that you're so afraid of into your nice neighborhood. Because we're going to make it a nice neighborhood. And people are going to want to keep it nice. That's his theory, and it kind of, like, is still incorporated into affordable housing now. I've read there's some changes to it. Um, I'm not sure what those are, but generally that's what his Oscar Newman's defensible space theory is about. And I think it makes a kind of sense. I would like more neighborhoods to be like that, because I think, like, I think suburban living could really use, like, shared spaces like that where you can... Obviously not right now, but like just as just for people to gather as a community in a in a place, you know, that is easily accessible to everybody where you don't need uh, you don't need like a vehicle to get there or you know what I mean? Like, well, that's one thing needs to be better city design, I think. That's and, one thing that so yeah. many for a long time uh, they've been exploring. People have been experimenting with community gardens and yes, and things yeah. like that, turning empty lots into into a garden space that the whole community can work on. Yeah. And unfortunately, some cities will come in and tear tear them out, and which is so know, stupid, and uh, and make them illegal, and you know all kinds of things like that. And it's, it's so self defeating. That's what I don't understand. Like especially like. So, yeah, going with that garden example, like, people that put, like, say they'll put a garden in their front yard, and some neighbors will complain. And it's, like, it's bringing joy to your neighbor. Like, you know, like, the person that's putting the garden there, it's bringing them joy. Why would you shit on their joy? (laughs) Just because you don't like what's in their yard? Like, that's not your business. Well, you know, this is, it's it's not a new thing. I I remember years ago reading about um, the cherry blossoms in Washington D.C. Yeah, I know this sounds like a totally off-topic thing, but when they were first given to um, Washington by the Japanese back in the 1800s, I think it was, 
there were all these complaints. It was <laughs> people wow. were like hmm. they they had this plan. Okay, we've got to find a place to plant them. We'll plant them along here, and they were like. People were like, "No, the cherries will will drop off the trees and make a big mess, and you know, and and so forth." And they're like, "Well, no, there's no cherries on them; they're ornamental." Oh, well, that's you know, then there's no point to them. And anyway, <laughs> you just uh, can't win the, with a bunch of ignorant hicks. They, you know, asshole. Oh, these these ruffian little boys will climb on the trees and and break them, and then we're going to have to, you know. You know, there was just anything that is nice <laughs> that is for public consumption is inevitably, you know, that is not um, being reserved for the elites is, you know, always complained about. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. and like Central Park in Manhattan was built really for elites the way it was constructed and everything else, it had promenades and, and the idea was, you know, upper class people having a place to go for a stroll on a, you know, but uh, happily that's changed and they've managed to still keep it as a really, really cool um, park. But, you know, that it's not a new thing that get it, trying to get the power people to accept the idea of communities creating healthy living spaces by working together. I'd love to talk to everyone about this wonderful uh, YouTube video I watched about uh, the difference in uh, city planning and how it affects the rate of uh, how people ride bicycles in Amsterdam versus the United States. But in the interest of time, let's skip that and just have Matt read feedback. (laughs) (laughs) I love that stuff. I love like yeah like uh just like nice city planning with like the all oh, the bicycles. I love it. Okay, anyway. You you already know what my opinion would have been anyway. <laughs> I would have loved Bicycles, it. yes. <laughs> yes, bicycles. Gardens, yes. Trees, yes. 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 Cars, no. <laughs> Strip malls, no. Racism, no. <laughs> Matt Ormel, read one of, read the feedback in there from Steve, I please. To, I want to if Matt doesn't. Go ahead. Yay. <laughs> Go for it, Mel. <laughs> uh, show me a hero, season one, episode one. There's no season two. Is there? <laughs> no. As far as premiere episodes go and catching new viewer attention, nothing in part one of the six-part miniseries makes me want to watch any further. <laughs> that may sound harsh, but this episode introduces several groupings of characters and storylines with no discernible connective tissue. The result of which, unfortunately, is a lack of interest for all the non-main subplots, including the healthcare worker with diabetes-induced blindness, the drug dealer with asthma and his girlfriend, and the Dominican Republic single mother of three. And let's be fair here, it's all the subplots with the minorities that get short-shrifted. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. Guilty for not investing in these side characters, and maybe that's on purpose by the filmmakers. A little bit of art imitating life in that these struggling low-income individuals are all but forgotten and shuffled off to the side to make room for the more imposing political machinations at play. That's a pretty mighty leap of faith in the filmmakers. Then again, I'm a big fan of director Paul Haggis, creator of NBC's The Black Donnellys, and the co-writer team of William Zorzi and HBO wonderboy David Simon both wrote for HBO's The Wire. 
I give part one of Show Me a Hero five out of ten Maalox and Stoli cocktails. <laughs> And he updated us on the Facebook group saying that he watched the rest of the series and he still didn't like it. So there you go. So, but, um, I don't think they were trying to be meta and give short shrift to the minorities characters as a, as a way to, to, yeah, to be meta. And like, this is how society treats them too. Like, I don't think it was that. I think they were, trying to be cognizant of not having a white savior narrative and and really show us the people who would actually live in these buildings and not talk about the buildings like some real abstract thing but show them as the promise of a better future for the people who would live in them and that's important but i just again i feel like it's a little their storylines are a little familiar because they're I mean, they're universal, but they're a little generic and they're kind of the least interesting. Carmen going back and forth to the Dominican Republic and I hope her name is Carmen uh, and back and forth. Like, wait, like we're getting her kids and her family wants her, her, her deadbeat husband or father of her kids wants to keep the kid. I don't know that none of that's really that interesting. That's not, that's not the best part of the show. And it, it does take up some time. And anyway, unfortunately, humanize the people they kept talking about like in these meetings to actually show some mm-hmm. of them but yeah mm-hmm. i didn't think they were supposed to be actual characters really yeah i mean honestly i didn't feel like especially in the pilot anybody was interesting um the the main the people who were going to be main characters weren't particularly interesting either i mean i really didn't find the guy who wanted to be mayor interesting or any of the council people they were just kind of there i yeah i yeah. i didn't find the any of the characters interesting so harold sent us feedback as well matt you want to read this one read it read it read it okay okay read it read it read it read it pressure um <laughs> Both of you know I cannot read a word. <laughs> they don't get that. That's no, a I know. Canadian, Canadian joke. reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll have to share that in the uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll joke. <laughs> show me a hero. I kind of like the gumption it took a uh, nonfiction book about desegregation, public housing, and local politics into a dramatic miniseries. Oh, to, took to turn that into a. I'm look, kind of looking down at the screen. Can I? No, you can't. Go where you are. No. <laughs> okay. There. Now I'm face <laughs> on. Uh, yet the part that stood out the most for me was a conventional material about Nick. How do you say his name? Lasisco. 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 His rise in politics and his little office romance with the woman from down the hall. Some of the stuff about the families living in the public housing didn't feel as real. Maybe in part because those characters certainly didn't didn't get enough screen time. One other thing I did like was some of the political stuff, particularly Jim Belushi as the longtime mayor who gets swept up in the Fuhrer. Fuhrer? Fuhrer. Fuhrer. It sounds like Fuhrer, like Nazi Germany. Yeah. (laughs) Different spelling. Yes. Over the desegregation order. I also thought there was a good eye for the look and feel of 1980s Yonkers. I'm not sure that I would go back to watch more, but overall, I liked it. 
I give it seven homemade yard signs out of ten. I think we see a lot more of the characters that live in the public housing as the series goes is on. Is it the same characters or are they just like feature? It is the same. Pe- it Yeah, it is. It's just a couple of different women. Um, I liked – so her name is Norma. The actress is Latanya Richardson Jackson. She's the 40-year-old sort of caretaker nurse that goes blind and now she can't work. So she applies for the disabled housing. The sort of like that the housing in the townhomes, but it's like for disabled people, like it's especially equipped. Yeah. There's a scene where her daughter takes her to a restaurant in the white part of town and she can't see because she's going blind. But she, are there only white people in here? And her daughter says yes. And she's like, well, then can we just get the food to go? Because she just doesn't feel comfortable to be outside of her space. Mm. And it's just, it's very sad for her daughter because her daughter like has the ambition of of doing that, but her mother is just like too trapped, too afraid. So I felt the real, you know, empathy for her. And uh, there's a character who has a drug problem, but she is able to kick her drug problem and actually becomes like um, a community representative. So she, various residents of the tenements like will come to her with their problems about like the roof is leaking and whatever. And she will, she starts becoming like, she works for other people now as an advocate for them. So finds validation through that. There's a young girl who's, um, she, she takes a job caring after this sick kid, this mentally challenged kid. And She's like, I can't stand it. Like, all he does is scream and throw things and, and, and like, I, I'm going to quit. And her mother's like, what do you mean you're going to quit? This is the real world. You think everybody gets up every day doing exactly the job they want to do? And then her daughter gets pregnant. And so now she's on the other side of things and, like, has to grow up. Like, like there's really good stories there. So it's just, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's good stories there. Mm. There could very well be. I I trust you. Yeah, trust it's, me. It's just this is just me ranting about things I like for two hours. It's just too bad that they didn't include anything I interesting know. in the pilot. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's a real shame. As as they will teach in the in a junior high English class, first you have to catch the reader's attention. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's. That's the thing. That's why making a pilot is so hard. Making that first episode where you, you know, have to catch the people's attention and set up the story and, you know, have something interesting in that beginning and create the whole. Right. It's a hard thing to do. I guess they just assumed everybody watched that 48 hours episode. Yeah, that's that's what we did. Thanks for the lift. Yeah, no problem. You know, it's on the way to the Italian-American forum tonight, so... <laughs> Every night's a mother event, huh? Yeah, well... It's crazy. I know. If you want to be the mayor, you got to work at it, right? Yeah. And, um... Well, don't tell anybody, but I always wanted to be the mayor. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I swear. I used to talk about it all the time growing up. The other kids used to call me the mayor. <laughs> really? It wasn't a compliment. <laughs> But, you know, I try to take it as one. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right. Um, I better go in. My parents will worry about me. Yeah, okay. Have a good night, okay? All right, yeah. It's just... Um, Bye. Just... 
that was weird. Was it? I, I just, you kind of caught me off guard. Um, I better go right now. We should talk. Yeah, okay, on Monday. Okay. All right, bye. Good night. Yeah, good night. So what's your rating, Carol? On this pilot? Mm-mm. I'm going to have to go with uh, four out of ten hungry hearts. Aww. Okay. <laughs> All right. By the way, every like every song that came on, we were always like, Matt was always like, is this the first song? I was like, this sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song. And then, yeah. and then every other song, like Matt was like, I think this is also Bruce Springsteen. And I was like, no. <laughs> we kept thinking I think it was... song was Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think they used the totality of the Bruce Springsteen songbook for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Asbury Park isn't that far from Yonkers. Mm. But the thing is that, yeah, I mean, culturally, it's kind of far away. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Matt and or Mel. <laughs> I, I kind of thought, well, the actors are obviously like... Uh, good you know like i liked and i liked some of the characters but yeah the subject matter is a little bit comp i guess complex um and they introduced so many characters that it was really hard to keep up with them and you know so many like uh big fam it's hard to like it's hard to you know i don't want to say it's hard to care about everybody but it is because there's just so much going on so anyway, but I still enjoyed the little moments anyway. Like there was little charming moments here and there. So I would give it like a five out of ten possible Springsteens. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, it's hard to follow some of it. Um, they just throw you right in there, but I, I did enjoy the characters and the actors who played them. I always enjoy Oscar Isaac. Mm. I like John Bernthal. Uh, mm, the Punisher. Yeah. And even Jim Belushi was okay here. This <laughs> <laughs> is barely in it. Winona, Oscar Isaac won Winona the Golden Ryan Globe. was barely in it. What? For this. He won the Golden Globe for this, Oscar Isaac. No way. Okay. Yes, way. Wow, I didn't know him that. and his mustache. <laughs> Did he bring Quite... the mustache to the awards? <laughs> Quite honestly, you mentioned Winona Ryder earlier. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what she played or that she was in it at all. <laughs> uh, the uh, guy who played the Punisher, I didn't notice him either. Huh. I recognized Jim Belushi, and that was pretty much it in the entire thing. But. Mm. Everybody just melded into each other. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was it was okay. I'll give it a six out of ten. Awkward smoochies in the car. Ooh, awkward. Oh, very. Mm. Uh, overall, I liked the premise of this and the intentions, and I thought there were a lot of good, like little individual scenes and characters, but. Definitely this first episode was a tough sell. And it was only because I didn't want the podcast to just be us kind of like, what is this even for 90 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) that I decided to keep watching. And yeah, I'm glad I did. But this 
first one, not good at all. Very messy. Took a long time to get to the public housing, which is the real meat of the story, and bounced around a lot from character to character. Mm. So, uh, while I would probably give the series overall like a seven or an eight, I would give this a five out of five and a half out of ten shoulder pads. <laughs> oh, I like it. So that was Show Me Hero. Do you want to know what we're going to be talking about next time we record? No, yes, keep sir. it a mystery. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, it'll be kind of a weird one because we're not going to talk about two things. We're only going to talk about one thing, and that's oh. because the premiere episode is double length, and it seemed cruel of me to make you watch <laughs> an extra hour of a thing. Oh, so you we're... shy away from cruelty. <laughs> I'm a nice person. Don't believe it. I am. I'm not murder Mel, murdering people because they don't send feedback. That's true. true. I forgot that I was murderous. I just beg like a like a soy boy. <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about all two hours of the first episode of Vinyl. Vinyl. Hmm. Mel, where'd you go? of this show i was sorry matt stepped in front of me so i got rude bastard yeah he like he like it as soon as i said i've heard of this show matt put his shoulder in my mouth (laughs) (laughs) i do believe it's about the recording industry and i imagine there's lots of drugs and sex and and various things it seems kind of unfair to have to watch two hours of a show that only had one season because it really tanked. It's almost like it's cruel to take up so much of our time for so little payoff. <laughs> but maybe it'll maybe it'll be so surprising that we'll just be sh- shocked that it was not a bigger hit because we'll be like really blown away by it. Yeah. But we'll see. You haven't seen this one yet? I've never seen this one. Um, music in the music industry it does not appeal to me at all. But and that's what it's about. It's about a New York music executive in the 1970s who is hustling to make a career out of the city's diverse music scene. So we're going to get so, a lot of 70s styles this time. 70s New York music scene <laughs> is like four words that don't I'm not interested in. But <laughs> the joyous thing about it is that it's extra long. So, Yay! We'll have plenty to talk about. Right but it on. might have some, it might have, it depends. Where was it filmed? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. So one of the things that I found out when, about like Ghostbusters, this, again, off topic, but um, when I was traveling across the country and I was in Oregon and I'd been away from home for like six months at that point or something. And I went to see uh, Ghostbusters in the movie theater. And I had already seen it, but I had not remembered, because I'd seen it at home, how much of New York City it displayed. And it was just like, I was just like, oh, it's, you know, it's home. I mean, New York City is not technically home, but it might as well be it's secondary home. And so some of these things, like this one today from the Yonkers thing, I was just like, oh, such nice views of... New York, and it's set in the 80s, which is kind of fun to remember what New York looked like in the 80s. Mm. So. I don't know. I I could tell you that this show is one of the famously 
unrenewed shows, like where they renew it for a second season and then they change their minds. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I don't know where it was filmed, though. But even if it was filmed in New York, it wouldn't have been in 70s New York. So no, maybe they, they did some exterior things and then filmed the rest. They'd have to recreate in Toronto. stuff. Yeah, I know. We'll see. And I remember hearing that it was a very expensive show. Maybe that was the music rights or maybe that was the production. I don't know. I, uh, it'll be fun. To t- it's always fun to talk yeah. to you and okay. Matt and Mel about TV. So uh, Obviously, I was. I just noticed that I was the last one mentioned. So I'll, obviously, I'm the least fun to talk to. Right. I'm insulted. Right. Work on your on your sixty second plot summaries next time. We'll we'll I'll maybe I'll move you up the leaderboard. I will always remain the worst one. Now, Mel, you don't understand. In billing, the last person is that's like secondary top billing. Right. You're the Ann Peter Dinklage of this podcast. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as always, you can find us uh, at hooplecast.com or go to Facebook and search Hooplecast and send us feedback, hooplecast at gmail.com. I'm so glad I got to do this with you folks. Thank you for giving me your entire weekend. The entire weekend? Well, it was oh, like three hours for this and two <laughs> hours for... Yeah, go to bed. No, my weekend. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to each write a handwritten letter to your mayor saying how much you appreciate him. Okay. And say thank you for your service. A Facebook, a Facebook message. He always post. He's very active on social media, <laughs> uh, for good or for bad. For good or for bad. Yeah. He takes a lot of abuse on there. You but should say that people. you just watched "Show Me a Hero," the first part for a podcast, and it really made you appreciate public service, and you really feel bad for him and his family, and <laughs> he really did. He's really done a lot for his community, and you really appreciate it. But you shouldn't do it over social media. It should, it should be a handwritten letter, <laughs> and, and do like a you know a signature on delivery, so you can make sure you got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our mayor, I must admit, he's I appreciate his um, his updates on the pandemic and and what's going on in town as far as you know viruses, the virus, and all of that. Mm. But our town does have a long history of political corruption to the <laughs> to the point that the FBI raided at the place back in the 80s and arrested the mayor. And oh, my and, God. Uh, and they well, thought he, us. And they yeah. thought he'd been kidnapped because they swooped in in these unmarked vans and grabbed them from the supermarket and oh, my God, and stuff because it was they didn't know who to trust in the. And it was, you know, it's easy for people in positions of power to get corrupt. So. Yeah. yeah. I don't even so. know who the mayor of Brentwood is, but growing up, the mayor of Toledo was Cardi Finkbeiner, and he was so kooky that sometimes. Like a name. That it's a great, it's a great name. Cardi Finkbeiner. <laughs> Someone published, like, self published, like, a book of the some weird things that he said, like, because he said so many strange things. His most famous is when he suggested that deaf people move to the airport because the plane noise wouldn't bother them. Oh, you know, so that's interesting. He's got a great apartment because it has a big neon sign outside. But you, the vibrations would bother them, though. Yeah, Yeah. that was like that was his most famous 
Like it would, I think it even landed in the New York Times. Like Toledo mayor <laughs> says deaf people could move to the airport. <laughs> like around the airport. Anyway. There's a lot of wacky ideas. Cool. All right. Oh, here's another one. Toledo mayor captured on video calling teen Fatso at Highland Park. <laughs> oh, great. Great. Anyway. Oh, boy. City politics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fun stuff. Did we did we finish? Are we done? We're done. Been oh. done. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words remain forever. But no one knows the date now when the end will be. Not even the angels. No, nor even God's son. Only the Father knows. The world will be at ease, banquets and parties and weddings, just as it was in Noah's time before the sudden coming of the flood. People wouldn't believe what was going to happen until the flood actually arrived and took them all away. So shall my coming be. Two men will be working together in the fields, and one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be going about their household tasks. One will be taken, the other left. So be prepared, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come, you've been left behind A man and wife are sleeping there She hears a noise We'd all been ready Two men walking up a hill One disappears and one's left standing still I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind